WrestleMania to me is everything. WrestleMania is called the granddaddy of them all. And you stand on the grandest stage of them all. It's that time of year when you're on the card at WrestleMania that you stand before millions of people and you stand before your peers and it lets people know that you mean something. That's the uh, World Series of Wrestling. It's like the Olympic Games, the gold medal match. It's a tournament of all tournaments. So many great events, so many great matches. The very first WrestleMania, I watched it on TV and I had goosebumps then, just as I've had every single WrestleMania that I've had the privilege and honor of working at. WrestleMania 3 had 93,000 people in Pontiac Silverdome. When I got Andre the Giant over my head and I body slammed him, the wrestling world stood in awe. WrestleMania, it's fever, man. There's really that X factor and an intangible I can't explain. You just have to feel it. It's an adrenaline rush that you, you really can't describe what it is to be inside that ring. God, there's no feeling that can be like that in the world. It's a time to shine and to take that spotlight and make it mean something. Tonight, on the biggest stage of all time, this is my biggest chance to make my mark in history. WrestleMania to me is the culmination of all my hard work, all my dedication, all my sacrifice to simply be the absolute best the industry has ever, ever seen. It's the most important match of my life. It's something that I've lived for for the last 30-something years. My favorite WrestleMania moment has yet to be seen. This match, this event means everything to me. Speaking of, so uh, I was chatting to Tommy earlier, but I went to see Ken last night at Nomu, and through a boring story, I needed to drop him to Porter's Head to get his car. But as I was driving back after I dropped him off, I ran over a fox. Oh, no. Yeah. You know, you. I don't know whether you boys have done it, but it's the first time I've ever run anything over, but I was driving, and then I just saw it at the corner of my right eye, and it went under the car in the middle. I was like, oh. Just see it behind, poor little bugger. Did so you go back I, and like finish it off with a tyre iron or anything? No, well, to be honest, I turned around, parked the car, got my dick out and fucked it. <laughs> <laughs> I look for a vegetarian, that's a very strange... That's just you taking out all these years of not eating meat. <laughs> well, to be fair, mate, I didn't eat it. I'm not a fucking savage. <laughs> We, we, we all know that you, what comes out of your mouth and what comes out of your dick are very similar. <laughs> the one good thing is that from seeing it behind, I think it went straight away. Because what I didn't want, if it had been flapping around, I would have pulled over. It was quite a tough place to pull over. But Yeah, but I don't even know like if I could do that. Honestly, I don't even know if I could finish it off. Like, I'm just, I'm so, like, I can't even kill, like, bugs. I, don't, I just don't like it. I don't like I've, had, I've, had, I've killed a couple of mice in my time and it's not through choice but it's through putting them out of their misery after Goldie's brought them in and I remember we had mice when we lived together in that flat for a little yeah. bit and I remember setting a couple of mouse traps in not not actually doing the deed myself but setting up the process for the extermination of them I remember I even bought a humane mouse trap to do anything in the rubbish it's not the nicest thing is it 
I got a feeling I may have hit a pigeon once whilst driving. I think a pigeon drove into my car, but I looked behind, you know, in the rear view mirror to see if it was like on the road dead and it wasn't. And that it went is off. classic murderer excuse. I think the pigeon <laughs> ran into me. And I thought it was fine. That's why I did the hit and run. <laughs> yeah. So the, the question is, old man, have you got a bit of a taste for it now? You go off from the uh, Tories, go and fuck something. <laughs> the red jacket on and, you know, the, the dogs and that. Well... I've got to see one of his sisters after this, but I do have a free evening, so who knows? Who knows? Yes, it's the Random Wrestling Review once again, bringing you our second week of WrestleMania season as we delve into the much-loved WrestleMania 19, a contender for greatest WrestleMania of all time, perhaps? I guess we will know pretty shortly. Joining me to dissect the show is Sam Carey, who, as a child, had just the merest wisp of mousy hair that saddled him with the label <laughs> Old Man Forever. But despite giving up the ghost on said hair about 10 years ago, he still seems to be a genuine Benjamin Button. How's things, mate? <laughs> oh, that's a lovely, lovely backhanded compliments all over the shop there. <laughs> but you know what? I'll take it. I'm doing well. I'm excited. i got to be honest. This is a show I, I have fond memories of, so I'm looking forward to, as you put it, dissecting it. Indeed, indeed. And also we have the well-travelled Tom Smith, a man of culture, a man of sophistication, a man who delights in indulging in the finer things in life, even when it results in him soiling himself on a sightseeing trip to the Aztec pyramids. Tom, good to have you on as always. Uh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And, um, and just out of curiosity, where is this, um, where is this WrestleMania set? Um, I think it's set in Seattle, Washington. It's uh, obviously at Safeco Field. Uh, Tom, you, by chance, have you been there? Well, it's funny you should mention it, actually, Tinky, because <laughs> I, uh, I have been to Seattle. It's a lovely place. I highly recommend the Museum of Pop Culture and the Crab Pot. If you like your seafood and like lots of it at a very reasonable price, the Crab Pot is a great <laughs> place to go. I didn't eat any seafood there, but my wife did, and she very much enjoyed it. Are there any wrestlers in the Pop Culture Museum in Seattle? I don't think there is, you know. Shit. Yeah, <laughs> shit. There's definitely, there's a there's a big Pearl Jam exhibit. Okay. And Pearl Jam, the singer, Eddie Vedder, kind of sounds a little bit like the singer from Creed. So there's a tenuous link there I've just put in. Yeah. I'm sure the Creed of things will come out at some point in the future, if not today. Oh. So Tom seems determined to bring them up and uh, we will get into that at some point, I'm sure. Oh man, you were going to say something. Sorry, I cut you off. That's right. I'd be honest. I can't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> oh yeah. I was going to say that you never get an entrance yourself, Tinky. So I've come up with one. Okay. Here he is, the cunt. <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs> I very often forget to say my name, actually, when I'm doing the uh, intros. Uh, Sir Ben Spindler III. I, I, I think I'll just leave it as Tinky the cunt. That'll do. That's an ego thing. He's like, they know who I am. I don't need to say it. <laughs> um, yeah, so today, as I said, we are covering WrestleMania 19. And before we get started properly, I wanted to say a big thank you to all our listeners who have joined us so far or will join us in the future when they discover this podcast in a couple of years time and are bravely trawling through episode by episode. Whichever category you fit into, we'd love it if you could give us a little review and a rating on your podcasting application of choice. It is very much appreciated. Okay, then let's get into it. WrestleMania 19. We've got lots and lots to talk about. So let's start with overall thoughts. Uh, old man, let's start with you. It's a bloody good one. It is a bloody good one. And I think it 
One thing I noticed in straight off the bat is it feels like a very uh, I, I hate the word epic, but I can't think of another. It feels epic. You look at the setup, you look at the massive ramp, you look at the size of the stadium they're in, and it really like it sets the bar high in my eyes for how it's set up. And it maintains that level wonderfully. Go on, WrestleMania. <laughs> 19. Uh, Tom? I really like this movie. I think that the um, the, the way to describe it is if the climax is the beginning of the roller coaster, I think. So you go, you, there's a first little bit, you go up, around the first half of the show, goes up, there's a little a little dip. And when I say dip, I mean that's a great bit because that's a bit on a roller coaster you really like and it's very confused analogy. And then it goes very up, up very quickly, and then there's another massive dip, which is amazing in it. And I don't think I've explained that very well, but it makes sense in my head, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> well, we'll be on that journey of the roller coaster with you as we go through the show, and I'm sure that analogy will become clearer as we go. Yeah, I thought it was a very good show. I don't think there's anything that's bad on. Well, there is some one thing that's bad on the show, but in terms of matches, I don't think there's anything bad on this show. Even maybe the most obvious one that some people might consider bad. And I think it's the closest WWE have ever gotten. I don't know for definite because I haven't seen every single show they've ever done. But it might be the closest WWE have ever got to doing a Japanese style Tokyo Dome show where the last five matches are the most important matches on the show and arguably get more important as they go on. They don't necessarily get as uh, better as they go on, but they seem to go up in importance as they go on. And they are all basically 20 minutes long, at least. And so I don't think WWE have ever done that before or since. So it's kind of quite unique in that respect, I think. But I will say, and this is going to be controversial and might split me from the, the majority. I don't think there's a classic on this show. I don't think there's a classic match. I think there's three very good matches i think there are three great matches i don't think there's a classic but we will we will uh, get into that and argue about that later on i'm sure this it's really interesting what you say actually this this feels like a proper probably the most wrestling wrestlemania yeah isn't it? absolutely there's just it just the as i say the last five matches are all it's all heads down serious let's do this the business let's do the business and that is not very uh regular you'll have seen that in wwe's past or present for that matter so it's wrestling mania. Indeed, indeed it is. Okay, let's uh, let's head into the show. We've got lots to cover, as I said earlier on. So let's start with the opening video package, uh, which begins uh, with a kind of quite dramatic sounding uh, audio representation of the history and the classic nature of WrestleMania. We have lots of voiceovers from all kinds of people that are going to be on the show uh, to talk about the importance of the event. Uh, Tom, let's start with you. Any thoughts on this opening video package? Just immediately off the bat, like old man said in his uh, his overview, overall view, it's it's it makes it feel like a big deal. It's like it's like this is the, this is what we work towards every year. This is the big event. This is where you want to be, and you want to be in the main event of this pay per view. And just already sets the scene right from the right from the jump that it's it is a this pay per view is going to be a big deal. It feels like a classy Freddie Blassie type promo video. Obviously, old classy Freddie passed away in June of this year. So rest in peace, Fredster. And uh, yeah, it feels like Freddie Blassie's doing the video. I think it's 17, where be, they're, yeah. they're in all of the different homes in different countries. And Freddie Blassie's doing the voiceover. It felt like that. And I think whenever you put something alongside WrestleMania 17, you've got to live up to the billing. Yeah, I think um, they did 
very often use Freddie Blassie for those really important moments. Like they they wheeled him out. I seem to remember at the end of the invasion angle when WWE were facing WCW and ECW Alliance, and he was kind of gave the last sort of rousing speech to get the troops up for that battle. And uh, they also used him a number of times early on in the Attitude Era to sort of hype up the history of WWE, but in a kind of quite earthy way in which they perhaps previously wouldn't have done. They probably used Vince to do his overexcited voiceover uh, voice, but in in at that time they used Freddie Blassie. It just gave a little bit more um, authenticity, I guess, to the the idea of the historic nature of the events. And I, I get I get what you say about that. It's a very it's got a Freddie Blassie esque feel to it. I did think though that the production quality was pretty poor. The sound quality was not good on it. Austin's voice in particular just seemed to get lost in the mix throughout and that and he, it wasn't just him but he, his in particular was the worst. But there were other moments where the voices the, the, the kind of the, the kind of people talking about the historic nature of WrestleMania just didn't stand out as much as I felt like they should do. It's funny you say that because it it feels like it's just things that people have said in other contexts as well. So like Lesnar says, it's the tournament of tournaments. Yeah. There's no tournament. <laughs> like he's obviously confused. I can't imagine his face when he turned up at the arena and he was like, right, so who's in the first round? And they're like, the fuck? What's this bloody stupid guy on about? And then they're like, well, he's fucking massive. We can't we can't slag him off, can we? Yeah, so what happened but- is after the show, they then put on a full-on tournament <laughs> just so <laughs> Lesnar was, was, was okay with what had happened. Well, fortunately, he went out in the first round to Spike Dudley. <laughs> no, no. as far as Lesnar was concerned, his first round match was against Kurt Angle. And uh, after that, he progressed and was waiting for his semi-final opponent. <laughs> He's just there. Come on. Come on. <laughs> and Jim Ross and Jerry Lauder kick us off with Jim, Jim Ross's John Wayne Cufflinks, which oh. is the <laughs> yeah. part, uh, of the introduction, as far as I was concerned. Um, and they to, they then kind of pass to Taz and Michael Cole for their introduction because they're going to be commentating on the opening match. But interesting that they felt the need to start things off with JR and the King. He, and it's very notable in this first match with uh, Rey Mysterio and Mahardy that uh, Taz is still very new to this. And you can't understand a fucking word he says throughout this match. I think he's really poor as well. Like he, he's obviously on commentary for some of these big matches, and I, th- I thought he was really poor throughout Taz. I just didn't, I didn't rate him at all. It's a struggle for the lad. I think. I think uh, I, I haven't written it down, but he makes a comment about the size of the crowd, and you could kind of see in his eyes. I think suddenly the magnitude of what he's doing hits him. <laughs> and he realizes that he's not wrestling on ECW Living Dangerously 1999. This is the big time Sonny Jim. <laughs> you absolute scumbag. <laughs> Bloody Peter. The one thing I did notice when they do the opening like little thing is like I touched upon, it just feels it feels important. The stadium looks incredible and the crowd, I don't quite know how they did it, but the crowd on the lower tier, it seems to go back miles and they've got the angle of the seats just right so you can see everyone if we were there and we were in the back row of the frontier 
we would have been able to see ourselves, which is just a treat for the viewer as well, to be honest. Now you brought up the crowd, I think I, there's a couple of things I need to point out. First of all, there's a bit in the start where there's a guy with a with a sign and he holds it up for quite a long time at the beginning, like during the first match. And my attention was just drawn to it. I can't even remember what the sign said, but it was more that I was just so, it was like he was in the front row. So I was just so concerned for all the people behind him <laughs> who couldn't see a damn thing because of this guy with his sign trying to put over himself. Um, there was another guy in the front row with a sign who I believe is a um, friend of the podcast. Um, yeah. Former Chaos that. Wrestling um, promoter, Dave Mercy. Um, I'm pretty certain he's in the front there's, or second there's, row. There's, there's a sign that says his real name. But then I look, if you look at who it is, I'm pretty certain it's him. I don't know for definite, yeah. but I'm pretty certain it's him. That's so, amazing. Go on, Dave. There's also another sign, another person with a sign, where it clears day, right in the middle of the hard camera. Krusty, with an arrow pointing down to himself and an arrow pointing to the two people next to him. So. <laughs> so up first we had the cruiserweight title match matt hardy versus ray mysterio matt hardy version one of course who interestingly enough tom obviously you um were kind of completely shocked by the fact the idea that he could even be a cruiserweight because of his weight and that was obviously part of the storyline because obviously shannon moore who was his corner guy was trying to help him get into shape so he could meet the weight limit that the cruiserweight division um had during the match uh hardy wins by stepping into an attempted mysterio victory role and then holding on to the middle rope for the pin in last five and a half minutes old man your thoughts on this one oh, it's just a great a great little curtain switcher isn't it just fast paced my hardy version one was his best work i think outside of obviously being part of the hardy boys yeah it's just great there's a teabagging comment from yeah. at one point which like evidently catches michael cole off guard as well because he has a little titter i still try to figure out what this teabagging is yeah, I feel sorry for the person who like, he tried the teabagging on the first time. Because if he didn't know what it was, then bloody hell, must have been bollocks everywhere. But yeah, it's just, um, it, it's Rey Mysterio and Matt Hardy in 2003. It it just didn't let me down. I just enjoyed it. And uh, I also found Shannon Moore not as annoying as I remember him on the outside. Because he's a bit rubbish, but he plays his part very well here. And as you touched upon, Tinky, I thoroughly enjoyed the... Uh, comment on Matt Hardy's weight because mm. I just thought oh, that's a nice little nice little touch a nice way to explain away why this guy who's clearly not a cruiserweight is able to qualify yeah. for the cruiserweight championship which yeah. I thought was quite cool um, and also it made me realize during this match because um, well not during the match p- before the match because obviously he comes down with his version one entrance which includes a sort of tv screen on the screen um, and some and some facts so for example my favorite fact of this one was Matt often wonders how they did WrestleMania without him, which mm. I thought was quite good. The but it made me think about Matt Hardy and actually feel like we may have undervalued Matt Hardy through his career. Like he has done a number of different things and changed himself up over the years to keep himself relevant and keep himself in in kind of work. Because in fairness, coming out of the Hardy Boys, who didn't think that Matt Hardy would be the Marty Jannetty of the Hardy Boys, like he would just fall away. Jeff Hardy was obviously the more interesting, the more charismatic, the more skilled performer of the two, the more popular. But Matt Hardy didn't do that. He carried on, kept up, kept his career going, did many, many different things since, and is even still to an extent relevant. He's working for AEW um, as a manager. He has somehow managed to keep himself relevant for a very long time, and I think he deserves quite a lot of credit for that. I think because maybe he's not the naturally as naturally kind of gifted as if you would say that as as Jeff Hardy. I mean, he's got to work harder, and yeah, you know definitely. he's got to he's got to try harder to make himself more interesting. Um, obviously, this is very mysterious. First WrestleMania. Yep. as well to think it's worth noting and he's dressed as daredevil 
So this is obviously the. Yes. I didn't realize that it was right from this first WrestleMania that he started doing the kind of superhero cosplaying, if you will, during that. But yeah, it was it was a quite a fun match. But yeah, I guess I great curtain twitcher, great way to just get the get the action rolling on the night. On, I'm glad you mentioned Rey Mysterio's outfit because I would have enjoyed it if he'd gone full Daredevil, blind, <laughs> like, and just done the match blind with a stick. That would have been nice. Obviously, he had the eye for an eye match where he did actually lose an eye. Yes, indeed. So, yeah, so I'm guessing his name is now Rey Mysterio. <laughs> in fairness, though, in fairness to him, in fairness to him, though, he is a superhero because guess what? He's managed to grow it back since. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's a good match. It's five minutes long. You can't really, you know, it can't, you can't be too impressed by it. I think if it had gone another three minutes, you'd be like, what a, what a cracking opener. I think as it is, it's a perfectly fine opener that does its job, gets everyone excited to start things off and uh, starts the card well. So after this match, the uh, Miller-like catfight girls arrive in a limo and they begin uh, their kind of gimmick, which is that they argue about everything, supposedly. So the two are arguing this time over whether Austin versus The Rock or Vince McMahon versus Hulk Hogan is the big match of the night. We're going to have lots more to say about the Miller-like catfight girls uh, later in the show, I'd imagine. I don't know if you want to make any comment on this bit. Were they a thing beforehand? Or is it just for this? Or what, like, what, I've never heard of them. Don't know. This is the, the, yeah. the, the only reference I've got for them is this show, but they, it's possible that they were on Raw in the weeks leading up. I don't know. The thing I liked about this is that we, so a number of weeks ago in one of our early shows, we covered NWO sold out 1997. And our main criticism was that the production, like they were interviewing people for Miss NWO and they'd obviously not been prepped. There was no production or anything. And these ladies let's be brutally honest we all know why they're there we're there so the king can get excited and the crowd can get excited they know why they're there but they managed to get them to be part of the show just by having this little thing it's so simple it gets a nice little pop from the crowd and then carry on love the old job i think also you made the point there where they've been prepped or whatever there's a feeling that they're in on this. Like they sold out. There was a feeling like the women weren't even in on it. They were just yeah. st- stood there. And then suddenly people were making jokes about them, sexualizing them and all that kind of stuff. And so regardless of whether or not there's still a, a, a kind of an ethical issue here. And I think there is at least these girls are, are in on it. At least they are. This is they know what they are there to do. And they've ultimately they're there kind of promoting middle light, which I'm assuming means that that's their employment in general for this uh, this period was that they were promoting that beer and, and they know why they were doing it. So there is, there is a subtlety. It's not necessarily still the greatest thing ever, but it, it's just better. Oh, come on, <laughs> So then we saw footage backstage from Sunday Night Heat where Nathan Jones was taken out by the Big Show and A-Train with the help of Nunzio. So it's nice to see Nunzio getting a, a little spot mm. on the WrestleMania show. Um, and then we have Limp Biscuit performing Rollin', which uh, Tony Chimmel introduces them as the WWE's favorite band in the world. Um, during this performance, some weird kid joins them on stage as well and starts dancing, which at first looks as if it's not supposed to happen because he seems to push Fred Durst. And then just he's, then he seems to be part of the show because he's dancing along fine with the the, the women that are also out there. Um, and this obviously leads to the Undertaker's entrance on a motorbike. Uh, any thoughts on this? So the first thing is, who the fuck is Nathan Jones? <laughs> <laughs> 
because here's 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 a bit of, uh, you know shocking bit of uh, insight. I wasn't watching at this time. And I actually think this is the first time I've ever watched WrestleMania 19 in its entirety. Wow. I've watched most of the matches, but I don't think I've watched the entire thing. So it kind of gave me a bit of an appreciation for the show as a whole. So there's a couple of things. First of all, yeah, Nunzio and, and Alba and uh, and uh, Big Show beat up Nath, Big Nath, um, Umbernest. There's no reaction at all from The Undertaker. So we don't know, we don't, we don't see any any kind of any point to anyone tell the Undertaker that it's going to be a handicap match. He just, it's like he just comes out and is like, oh, well, Nathan's not here. Doesn't matter. Which goes <laughs> to show how, how important he was. The Limp Biscuit rolling performance is is interesting because it, it's a really bad performance of rolling. It's really bad. Like, Fred Durst can't seem to catch his breath. He's missing lines out. Now, I know there's a lot of swearing in the song, so he has to, there's obviously lots of gaps in the song. There's, there's bits where he just doesn't say stuff when he should be saying stuff. He gets down, gets down to the ring. The Undertaker comes out, and it is, it is kind of cool. But the thing is, is that this song is two years past its prime at this point as well. Yeah. So the album that this song was on came out in 2001. If you remember the My Way promo with Austin and The Rock, that was on the that that song was on the same album that Roland was on. Yeah, the WrestleMania so, 17 promo you're talking about. Yes, yes. So that is that that goes to show that this, the album which this song was on was two years before this event. And it just feels, it already feels really outdated by this point. And that's obviously how they were able to get Limp Bizkit, is because they their star had uh, waned slightly. Yeah, yeah. I think also, I mean, obviously it was, I mean, I guess it was The Undertaker's entrance music at the time. So it does make some sense, but you're right. It's kind of, it's kind of gone past in terms of it's in, it, their kind of big period. They're no bad bunny, I'll say that. The Nathan Jones thing. So Nathan Jones is a very strange thing. He was a strongman, like one of those. He was involved in strongman contests. He stopped doing that and then had an MMA fight, which I think he lost, and then became a pro wrestler and joined WWE. And they, because obviously he's a, an impressive looking guy, he's big and he's, you know, he, he looks like an imposing figure. The WWE were obviously very, very excited and very, very invested in bringing him in. And so the idea was that they would use it. He would become the Undertaker's like protege as a way to sort of launch him. And I can only assume that his development had not come an- along enough by this point in time that they decided <laughs> he can't be a part of this match. He cannot be on a WrestleMania show, having basically wrestled about a handful of matches in his entire life so far. And so they didn't have him in the end compete and after this he disappears he comes back again later i think in the same year um under the tutelage of paul Heyman, um and sort of teams alongside uh Heyman's kind of group of people at the time and then disappears after that again because he's just i i i understand he didn't like the travel schedule of being a pro wrestler so it seems to be somebody who who was a complete flash in a pan wwe had big hopes for purely because his look and his size and it just never happened. That seems to be the case generally with this. I remember the haunting scene of where he gets beaten up in the shower, which is odd. So I've not thought of this before. Why is he fully clothed in the shower? Well, what was he doing in there? Well, they, 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 they do, in fairness, they do explain this. So, yeah, Nunzio tells him, I've stolen your wallet and then lures him into the shower <laughs> where Big Show and A-Train beat him up. So that's Nunzio. Nunzio is not even really part of the attack. He's just there. To, to lure him into the shower so the big chain big show and a train can beat him up i completely missed that but i love it did you did you nearly refer to big show and a train as big shame <laughs> <laughs> and, and for the rest of, for the remainder of this bit of analysis we refer to them as big shame 
<laughs> Indeed, we can. And to be honest, that would have been a great tag team name for them. If only yeah. Shane McMahon wasn't around, that's what their name would have been. I'm pretty certain it would have been that. We've talked about the Big Show a, a decent amount on this podcast. Fuck me, you realise just how far down the pecking order he is. Like to be in this match and to be hidden. I don't think there's any doubt about this that he is hidden in a tag match in this because he doesn't uh, doesn't look in the best of shape. Four years after he joined the WWE, um, as one of their like highest money signings they'd ever made. I think the at uh, the time it was reported to be like a million dollars a year for ten years guaranteed. The kind of money WWE had never previously spent on anybody before. And four years after, this is where he is. He's in terrible shape. He's been completely mishandled as well. Like he's been booked terribly. He himself has been lazy and just rested on his laurels. And yeah, it's just it's not a good time for the big show this it's really not good time it would it would have been a bigger deal if it was a singles match possibly yeah possibly yeah, wouldn't it? like even even if it was still that early in the card it would have felt like a bigger deal if it was a singles match there's a lovely in the match if we're going on to that now it's it's shit but uh there's a lovely i do quite like the shave your back champ that the crowd are given <laughs> given albert so there's so yeah it's originally supposed to be undertaker and nathan jones was a big show in a train it um becomes a handicap match because of the earlier attack that we referenced and it ends when nathan jones comes to the ring and aids the undertaker against the big show in a train and then taker hits a tombstone pile driver on a train for the pin tom sorry continue i just wanted to add that bit of context before we go any further yeah it's shit um, but there's a uh, bit in it that, that did confuse me a little bit, because obviously, as you said, Nathan Jones comes down to aid The Undertaker, even though it's now a handicap match. The referee is like, oh, all right, I guess it's a tag match, but there's no mention of that at all. He comes, he even comes into the ring and hits someone. And the referee is like, oh, well, that's just happening now, isn't it? It doesn't matter. It's fine. It just, it'd be nice to there to have been some kind of acknowledgement of what was happening, rather than it just seeming like Nathan Jones runs down in a match that he's not any more any longer involved in. You say the referee kind of just accepts it. Strangely, if you look at the referee when it happens, he does seem confused. He does seem like, am I just supposed to accept this now? And Michael, is it Michael Cole? Yeah, Michael Cole on commentary also sounds confused. It looks like he's about to say, well, hang on, how can Nathan Jones get involved? But then stops himself and sort of tries to blaze past it. It's really odd. They uh, Both Michael Cole and the referee seem to be in this position, which you are, which is, how is this allowed? Interestingly, I wonder if it's at this point when they're starting to think about grooming Michael Cole to be the lead commentator. Because just looking down, they're on the majority of commentary for most of the most of the pay-per-view. Or maybe it's pretty much bang on halfway down the middle. But it seemed like maybe because it, it what they weren't great at commentary, it seemed like a lot of Michael Cole and, and Taz. So I think just generally Cole being the lead announcer on SmackDown was them grooming him for eventually being the main commentator overall. It's probably another strength of having those divided rosters as you can have completely different commentary teams and you can start to prepare potential future replacements for the top top guys so i think that's probably what that's about as opposed to wrestlemania the, the way they scheduled this card being that mm-hmm. tell you what struck me initially undertaker is in unbelievable shape in this match he is in incredible shape and he hits a choke slam on albert train that is unreal uh, right early on in the match like fair play to albert train he proper leaps up and takes it but my word but it's a very odd match I think because there's nothing there's nothing wrong with it really. It's very slow and plodding, which given you've got the big show in Albert Train on one team, it's kind of gonna be. But there's a phase where they just have 
a trio of abdominal stretches. <laughs> which, so Big Show locks it in, and he's holding Undertaker in it for a decent while, like too long, really. And then he tags in Albert Train, and then he goes straight for the abdominal stretch. They do not like this, this abdomen. They do not want it. Ah, oh, the Undertaker's got out. Thank God, oh, he's reversed the abdominal stretch. <laughs> so there's a phase. So I don't know how long the match goes, but there's a phase of what must be two and a half, three minutes <laughs> of abdominal stretches. And then Nathan Jones, Nathan Jones turns up to add a bit of class. And he does the incredible spinning kick where his leg, he's a, he's a tall man and I'm not, but his leg probably goes higher than I can stand even on tiptoes. He might be a tall man and you might not be a man, but you do look like him. So, you know. I, well, to be honest, when you said that he was a former strongman, I thought, hang on, <laughs> former strongman, bold, not a tremendous worker. I thought for a second you were talking about me. Yeah, you're a better worker than Nathan Jones, don't worry, old man. Oh, fucking right I am. With, <laughs> with respect to Nathan Jones, because undoubtedly he's listening, I, I definitely get two stars out of him. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the I, I, you know, I said a few weeks ago that you are, you do tend towards hyperbole occasionally, old man. I'm not sure it lasts mm. two and a half to three minutes, maybe a minute the whole thing, but that still felt uh, long enough. Half hour, at least. <laughs> the match itself is 10 minutes and um so that's double the time they gave the cruiserweight title match i as i said at the beginning there is no bad matches on the show and i didn't think this was bad at all i thought don't go wrong it wasn't great at all but it was fine it was perfectly okay to your point on oh man about the undertaker it being in shape i absolutely agree in fact it was during this match again i had another realization where i was like there are big men and there is a reason why the undertaker is kind of signaled out as being this great big man there's a moment in the match where he is just running full pelt from one side of the ring to the other clotheslining Big Show and A-Train about quite deep into the match like seven minutes into the match and you're like this guy can go like he, he is an athlete he's still like giving it everything you don't see big men doing this kind of stuff very often even at the beginning of a match let alone this you know seven minutes in so i i thought it was a very decent little thing i like obviously it's really really throwaway when you compare it to the rest of the undertaker streak no doubt but for a match against the big show and a train where the big show means so little that to your point tom maybe a singles match with the big show wouldn't have been bigger because clearly big show is so irrelevant by this point that he has to be teamed with a train to even look as if he's going to be any kind of a threat to the undertaker i think the undertaker does pretty well to get something out of this and and it not be awful and obviously we get the classic undertaker of the time old glory comes out well that's it there's there's actually interestingly more references in this show to the iraq the the second iraq war the second gulf war if you like than there was of the first Gulf War during WrestleMania 7, where the main event was based around that <laughs> conflict, which is really strange. So then after this, we have the Catfight Girls backstage with Stacey Keebler and Tori Wilson. And I can't remember what they were arguing about this time around. I haven't written it down, but they were definitely arguing about something. I think it was this time who was to that be thankful for for the build of wrestlemania was it hulk hogan or vince mcmahon then we have jim ross with a promo in support of the armed forces in iraq to my point a moment ago where they're referencing that usa 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 <laughs> oh say can, can you see, see? <laughs> 
And then we have some more uh, footage from Sunday Night Heat where there was a pre-show match uh, for these, I think, the Raw tag team titles. I don't know. I don't know what they were called back then. I find the naming conventions of the title belts a little bit confusing when the initial roster split took place, um, where Bubba helped Lance Storm and Chief Morley retain the tag team titles. Chief Morley, of course, is the alter ego of old man's favorite ever wrestler, <laughs> Val Venus. I mean, one, it's a criminal waste of Chief morning <laughs> but this is the first time we've had mention of lord falvinus on the pod and i'll tell you what right all joking aside right falvinus and lance storm in a tag team ah oh, you fucking lap you put them in there with anyone <laughs> you could put them in there in a two-on-three handicap match with us three they get five stars out of us and undoubtedly and I'll tell you what, I would take that money shot. <laughs> Go on, Val Venus. What a fucking man. Um, well, it- I was just looking at the Wikipedia page, sorry. But it says here, as the event began, Ashanti sang a rendition of America the Beautiful, which I believe is not on the uh, WWE Network version. To be honest, I was expecting a DX band equivalent of <laughs> Limp Bizkit doing America the Beautiful at the beginning, which they didn't do, which did start off with a little bit of a disappointing, disappointing tinge to the show. Hmm. Do you think it was on the um on the actual broadcast or did they just do it for the live crowd? Because thinking about the way this show takes place, I can't imagine where it would have come in that opening bit. It just doesn't feel like mm. there's a there's a clear place where there's an edit. Saying that, I wasn't looking that hard, and I'm sure it was a tasteful rendition given the already kind of overt patriotism that's being shown um, because of the Iraq War. So I reckon it was dog shit, and that's why they cut it. I reckon her voice was all over the place. It, it sounded like a couple of cats falling down the stairs, and they were like, "We gotta cut this shit." Ashanti's not up to it. She's got a lovely voice. But she's bottled it, yeah? Pathetic. <laughs> Probably would have been, at that point, one of the biggest crowds she would have performed it in front of, I'd imagine, as well. Yeah. A lot of yeah people, especially a lot, of people, a lot of people who aren't interested in seeing her. For a moment then, old man, you came across as the guys in Harry Enfield who kind of rants <laughs> about everybody. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, Ashanti, no! <laughs> uh, um, no, to be honest, I have nothing against Ashanti. And I'm, it's one of these weird things where I didn't know this, but what Tom's just said. And I do feel like it is missing something because that is a very much a WrestleMania tradition. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't yeah. know why. I don't know what it is. Maybe it wasn't in the original um, broadcast. Maybe they've cut it out for some reason. But yeah, you're right. It's not here. The, the main reason they normally cut these things out is because they'll have to pay someone, which we'll get onto later in the card mm, as well. Good point. So uh, perhaps Ashanti said, hey, you can have it, but I want some money. I can't see that being the case. They Because the contracts they would write up for these performers, if they're going to be on their actual shows, is a bit different to if they're using their music. But if they're going on their actual show, you, you usually just, that would cover the contract for it, would cover it. But maybe it didn't. Who knows? That's why... The magnificent Kid Rock performance isn't on the network. Is it not? I didn't know it wasn't. It is not. That's correct. Yeah, because he wanted some bare bunts. That shows you how little I've gone back to watch that show in, in its entirety. Yeah. Uh, we will. I'm sure one day we will cover it. Next up is the women's title match: Trish Stratus versus Jazz versus Victoria. Um, this one lasts about seven minutes and Trish wins the match after a kick to the stomach on Victoria. Oh, man, let's start with your thoughts on this one. This is absolutely tremendous. 
I could not believe how good this is. Like, I was genuinely caught off guard. I, like, you've got three good people in there. Jazz's music is fucking incredible as well. Stevie Richards is coming down looking happy as Larry Sabisco. And he's absolutely loving it. Like, it, this is it's just tremendous. I don't really know how to word it without going through the whole match in detail because it is fast paced. They beat the shit into each other. Jazz puts on an STF that would make John Cena squirm at one point. Like she is wrenching. I think it's on Trish. She's wrenching. It looks absolutely horrible. So Trish Stratus wins. And the only comment that the commentators make is how beautiful she is. And I was like, well done, commentators. You've just you've just shit on seven minutes of tremendous action there with your chauvinistic wording. Yeah, well that's I think that is key to why the women's division struggled to take off for so very long is that mm. as you say this is actually a good match and they work really hard and they're clearly far better than the women's division was at one point they're obviously in general working hard over this period to get better and improve and you know really really up their game and then they get that comment at the end and you're like fucking hell like what have you got to do tom your thoughts well, it's just interesting. Yeah, it, I, the commentary was very much a lot of that, which, which unfortunately is what you expect at the time. At one point, Jerry Lawler refers to Jazz as looking like Mike Tyson, yeah, which is quite a nasty comment, really, if mm-hmm. you think about it. Yeah, the, the match in itself was good, but yeah, it, you're right, old man. It's, just, it's undercut by everything. I mean, and also what I will say as well, the, if you think about the two women's segments in this pay-per-view and put them you know, in conjunction next to each other. We'll obviously refer to the, to the other one later. But it's night and day. But unfortunately, the attitude towards them both is the same. Um, yeah. One of one of which is, is a really good wrestling match. The other is just a bit of TNA. And they're, they're talked about in the same manner, which, as you said, is doing the, the women in this match are a massive disservice because they, they, if they had bollocks, they'd have worked them off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's a really good match. It's you know, for for seven minutes as well, that's all they've got to do here, and there's three of them, so it's all a little bit more rushed and a little bit more busy than it than you'd want it to be. It's still very, very good. Uh, they even managed to get a moment where Stephen Richards gets involved and tries to hit Tristratus with a chair, misses and hits the hits the rope and the chair goes back into his head. Classic comedy uh spot there with a steel chair um oh yeah it's <laughs> amazing the jazz um stf she starts with a single leg boston crab which already looks pretty uh pretty painful and then uh transitions into the stf from there which is really cool i think the start is a little bit messy there's a few moments where there's a bit of awkwardness and in, in fairness i would argue that most of that is down to trish who is still uh developing at this point still becoming better as a as an in-ring performer but by the end it's really quite good the end sequence the last three or four minutes are really really quite good and um as i say i i, I agree with you i mean i was quite surprised because you always think back to this era and think the women were just there for the tna but in fairness to them they aren't taking that attitude they are coming out there and trying to do the best they possibly can with what they're being given and, and it kind of makes you think about there are some people out there who say you couldn't have made a crowd drawing women's division in the late 90s and early 2000s And I think on this evidence, that's not true. You just need to have presented them better. And that's why when we look at Royal Rumble 2021 and they they list off some of those wrestlers who come down and they call them legends, 
like I think that's why they're doing that now because just to be recognized as a pro wrestler as opposed to just um, a model in this day and age was so difficult it's a testament to these these three women in you know in this match that they were that you could go back and go actually these were three really quite good wrestlers and given the time the presentation um, and the seriousness there was actual real value in those women and a good women's division at the time lovely well said okay so backstage we then have jonathan coachman with the rock um where the rock says he could care less about the people and he says that beating steve austin consumes him and it his (laughs) and it is his destiny to win tonight uh my the only note i've got here at the end of that is great stuff tom this this promo is incredible from the rock so again i wasn't watching it at the time but it's it's amazing what he was able to do and stay 100% as the rock, but turn him into a heel. The, there is there are some of the catchphrases in there, but he doesn't do the finally at the beginning. He doesn't do if you smell what the rock is cooking at the end. He doesn't give those opportunities for, for the crowd to interact with him. He does do the jabroni beating pie and all that sort of stuff, but he changes it up enough so that the crowd can go along with it. The heat that he's getting is tremendous from the crowd. You can hear that from the backstage segment alone. Um, it's just brilliant. He really sells the importance of he, he puts over Austin as being a massive deal and beating him as being a massive deal as well. It is just a, it is an absolute clinic. And it is why The Rock is considered one of the best promos ever, because it's difficult because I think about his, his return when he came back a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago, fucking ages ago now. Um, <laughs> but, and his and his promos were so they they were still decent, but they were all a bit phoned in juvenile in points you know the fruity pebbles and all that shit with john cena and like didn't really think like and they're also a bit like um like overtly trying to be sentimental about how much he cares about the business and everything like that whereas this is just absolutely blows anything of, of that out of the water and reminds you again of how good he was in this stage in his career where he's still effectively I don't, I don't want to say a part-timer because he was still there a bit, wasn't he? A bit more than like a one-shot person would be. But the fact that he's he's able to, you can see where his 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 evolution of the character has gone, and it's just fantastic. It's a great promo. Yeah, he's he's not a part-timer in that when he is around, he's around every week, week to week, performing, mm-hmm. facing people. Like I think during this period is when he wrestles the Hurricane on Raw. Um, you know, does all kinds of stuff. But it's just he isn't there for great chunks of the year because he's off doing films and, and filming, mm. you know, movies and whatnot. Uh, but, yeah, I, I completely agree. I thought it, I said great stuff is the main note I've got. And it is great stuff, old man. Like Tommy's covered it wonderfully. It's incredible. And also there's a it's a lovely flip to the WrestleMania 17 promo video package where Austin says, I can't beat you, Rock. And they flipped that completely because there is like WrestleMania 17, the matches for the title, but it's kind of not necessarily about the title. It's about them as well. And this is just a match. This is literally a match for no good reason. And the Rock in this promo, because this is all obviously watching the show, this is all I have up to this point, just made me absolutely gagging for it. And he just like frames the promo around act one, act two and act three. And obviously the criticism being thrown at him from all sides is that he's gone Hollywood and stuff like that. And he just embraces it and just rolls with it. It's just tremendous. 
It is. It's also, interestingly, the only backstage promo on this entire show. There are no yeah. other backstage promos on this show. And uh, it's noticeable that they give it to The Rock because because he's, yeah. he's he's the best. He was the best talker in the game and possibly of all time. I'm sure that will annoy some people, but yeah. um, it does, to me, speak that way. Sorry, just a very quick note on the coach. The coach has been a part of so many magnificent Rock promos. He's very underrated, I think, coach, as a backstage person. I always liked him. And he, he gets his moment in the sun later on, which is lovely. There's, it's funny, isn't it? I'd, I'd be interested. Maybe maybe after uh, maybe after you're finished with the old uh, World Cup of, uh, of WrestleMania matches, the World Cup of Talkers, because I'd be intrigued to see what the listeners and, and, uh, and our followers on social media think. Because the general consensus that it's basically a tie between The Rock and Ric Flair, generally, isn't it? Is what you say. But if they're drawn together in an early round, what could happen? Well, what could happen? Well, I, I do invite anybody else to do the World Cup of, of talkers. Anybody <laughs> can be bothered, mate. <laughs> Very busy washing my hair. I'm an ideas man, Tinky. You know this by now. I come up with all these grandiose <laughs> ideas and never find someone else to do it. Anyway, moving on. Um, it's time for the tag team match for the WWE tag team title. Again, I the reason I stumbled there is because I'm like, I don't know what to call these fucking belts. I just don't understand the naming convention they used back then. Los Guerreros versus Chris Benoit versus, and, and Rhino, sorry, versus Team Angle. Um, this one goes nine minutes and Team Angle win when Shelton Benjamin sneaks in and pins Chavo Guerrero after he had been gored by Rhino, who was then pulled out of the ring by Eddie. Uh, who do we go to first last time? Uh, I think it was you, Tom. So, old man. Well, first of all, the reason why you've got the confusion with the tag titles is because these are obviously the second-rate tag titles. Because okay. the main ones are held by Chief Morley and Lance Storm. Apologies. Yeah, they, they wouldn't be seen dead with this muck around their waists. Really <laughs> disgusting stuff. <laughs> so, as a couple of notes, the, the match is, as expected, tremendous. Like, you've got six great workers in there. One underappreciated chap in all this is Jimmy Corderas who gets the action going seamlessly, gets out of the way. But there's a lovely moment where he starts counting when Ideas Guerrero falls on Benoit and he basically makes Charlie Haas, who obviously isn't expecting it, break up a count. And it felt like, this felt like a bit of a fight, I think, more than anything. This felt quite chaotic and it was quite exciting. And I don't know quite know why I noticed this in this match specifically, but they do not play to the crowd at all, like at all. They are all just in this match. And it's a triple threat title match, so there's a heck of a lot going on. I just thought it added to making it fast-paced and exciting. I think Benoit does about 87 German suplexes to poor Chavo Guerrero at one point. Uh, and also I noticed this the first time, like, obviously what happens with Benoit and obviously Guerrero's passing. Eddie Guerrero at this point is enormous. Mm. He is so massive. And I couldn't, what surprised me even more is how small Benoit is by comparison to how he would be. And it, I think like with any of these matches where we go through, like last week we had a lot of death. It just kind of makes you realise what these guys do to themselves. Yeah. And it kind of, it did 
I enjoyed the match enormously, but it did just put that little edge on it for me where it's a bit like, ah. Yeah, I think if you look at the way uh, Eddie Guerrero, for example, um, executes his stuff and Chris Benoit, there's an mm. intensity to what they do oh. that just takes the probably makes gives them even more wear and tear on their body than it would for most. Like the way they do everything is so like when Eddie Guerrero does a frog splash, he slaps his arms and his and his legs down on the canvas as he comes down just to put that extra emphasis on what it is doing which makes it look great but it just it must just really add to the wear and tear what before we go too far in deep into the to the um sad stuff though i do want to give a shout out because uh, you brought it up old man with your talk about jimmy corderis to what is undoubtedly the referee all-star team of all time on this show oh it's so, amazing isn't it the rundown we've, is phenomenal we've got jimmy corderis we've got earl hebner we've got brian hebner we've got charles robinson we've got nick patrick and we've got mike yoda all referee a match on this show wonderful stuff let's be honest there's one person missing scott armstrong (laughs) (laughs) there's one thing that was very disconcerting about this or especially noticed it during the next match charles robinson's got a different haircut Um, going back onto this match there's a little bit near, near the beginning of the match the little little segment which is just phenomenal which is um it's Benoit and Chavo Guerrero, friend of mine, Chavo Guerrero. Um, yes. Uh, and he, uh, they're in the ring, and then he kind of slams um, Benoit down, tags in Eddie. Eddie does his kind of slingshot somersault thing on him, which I always loved because I think it always looks so good. And like you said, Tinky, his the, the intensity he puts into everything is great, but everything looks so good that Eddie does as well. Everything is so smooth, similar to like what you said about Brett and his offense looking great. Mm. Eddie's not quite there, but yeah. everything that he does <laughs> looks amazing. He then gets in there. They then he then throw, puts Benoit in the corner, hits him a couple of times. And then, fuck me, Benoit reverses it, puts Eddie in the grower, and chops him so hard. It looks like, and you know that he's the only person he would hit that hard is Eddie Guerrero because of their relationship. Like, he, I didn't even know, I can't even think of an analogy as to how hard he slaps him because it just looks like the most brutal thing I've ever seen. Like, forget, like, I mean, we were talked about it the other day, the um, when we were reviewing Fasting, we talked about, um, that match between Kenta, Kobashi, and Samoa <laughs> Joe. Like, there are some brutal chops in that match. The chops that fucking Benoit gives Guerrero in this match are the most brutal-looking chops I think I've ever seen in my life. I like your representation of the idea that we were talking about the match between Samoa <laughs> Joe and Kenta Kobashi. We know only you will talk about it. To the point, Tom, where I'm pretty certain you've probably shown about 500 people that match. It's fucking amazing. That's why. It's one of the greatest matches I've ever watched. I love it. And you know me. I don't, I don't fucking do this indie shit. But that match, <laughs> that match is oh, magnificent. Love it. I, I've got a feeling. Did you buy it when, did you buy the DVD of it when we were in America? For WrestleMania yeah, we, yeah we, we bought it at the Ring of Honor show. Yeah, and, 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 and then, then you forced us to watch it in the hotel room again. Yeah. As well. there was, we were chatting there. We were chatting to some bloke. And I don't know what we just got around talking to. When he turned around to us went, don't even get me started on Japanese wrestling. And I went, all right, I went. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember that. I, so I don't think I was there when I actually with you boys at the, at the time. I just remember one of you coming over and telling me about that. Great times. 
And to be fair, that, that Kenta Joe match is bloody good fun. It is indeed. It is. And it's, it's actually quite humorous the number of times he ends up chopping him. So, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a bit in it where Samoa Joe is just in the corner and he's doing everything he can to not cover his chest up. He's like gripping onto the ropes being like, fuck me. When's this going to end? It's agony. <laughs> You, you you are such a proponent of that match, Tom, that you've shown people that don't even like wrestling that match. Yeah, yeah, and they love it, and they fucking love it. Cause you're like, look at the state of his chest. And the bit that you're talking about, Tom, is when Kenta's like just chopping him, just constantly, and then he slows down, and you, you can see Samoa Joe like the relief, and then he just winds up and gets starts going again. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely old job. Well, I don't think we're going to top that for the moment, so let's just take a quick break, and we'll be back in just a moment. Rock, how how excited are you? It's WrestleMania. Over 54,000 people. People. The people. The same people who booed The Rock at last year's WrestleMania. The same people who booed The Rock when he sang and gave the concert of a lifetime. The same people who chant sell out to The Rock. Oh, oh, The Rock is a sellout. The Rock has sold out this and every WrestleMania he's ever been in. You see, Coach? You see, Coach? These people hurt me. They hurt the people's champ. So tonight, The Rock could care less about the people. You see, Coach? The Rock is here for one reason and one reason only. And that is to fulfill his destiny. Fulfill my destiny. And that's his beat, Stone Cold Steve Austin, right in the middle of the ring at WrestleMania. One, two, three. This is the holy grail. The one thing that The Rock has ever done. The one thing I've never done. It consumes me. It eats me alive. Coach, this night, the biggest night of my life. This is everything to The Rock. Everything. Oh, yeah. For the past two occasions, Stone Cold Steve Austin has beaten The Rock right in the middle of the ring. Right in the middle of that ring, one, two, three, he's beating the rock. But if there's one thing that Hollywood has taught me, that's act one and act two, they don't matter. The only thing that matters, everyone remembers act three. The end, the climax, the grand finale. This is the last chapter to the greatest rivalry this industry has ever seen. When Stone Cold Steve Austin goes one-on-one, with the jabroni beaten, oh, pie eaten, not afraid to sweat, not afraid to bleed, gonna beat that bald-headed bastard, Garandam T. And then, Coach, The Rock would have done it all. Finally. Right then, so uh, next up we have another backstage bit with the Catfight Girls and Keebler and Wilson. And this, I think, is actually where they discuss Vince McMahon and Hogan and which one is to blame for the success of WrestleMania. So I have no idea what the uh, previous one was about, unfortunately. Um, And then we have a video package hyping Chris Jericho versus Shawn Michaels. Uh, Any thoughts on the video package, either of you? 
Uh, only that it's quite good, in, but most WWE video packages are. Um, so you can Some of the garb that Chris Jericho is wearing in the build-up to this match is amazing. Um, but it's effectively, to start us off with, it, the, the storyline of the match is that Chris Jericho got into wrestling because he wanted to be like Shawn Michaels, which I find weird because there's not that much difference in them in terms of when they were... <laughs> you think about it, Chris Jericho was what, uh, what, 90, kind of four, 95 when he became a professional wrestler and Shawn Michaels became Shawn Michaels in like 91, late 91. So I don't know how you can really grow up wanting to be uh, Shawn Michaels. You can kind of maybe see the Rockers kind of maybe influence, but I can't imagine that anybody would have watched the Rockers with that much intensity and been like, I want to be like that guy. That'd be like me watching it now and being like, I want to be like, I don't know, give me a tag team, anyone, please, and dying it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you have to come up with one. <laughs> well, I, and also to your point, like, if you were if you were watching the Rockers, you'd want to be Marty Jannetty, wouldn't you? I want that job security. <laughs> but no, it's it's quite a good promo, and then it basically says that I he decided to stop being Shawn Michaels, channel his energy into being Chris Jericho, and then for some reason they had a disagreement, and then had a little scrap at the Rumble, and there, there is a bit. Where he, I think, beats up Stacy Keebler or something like that for some reason. And again, it's that kind of like we discussed about it. We discussed it in the ECW pay per view the other the other week about that kind of violence towards women, and then it becoming a more regular thing in the WWE. And I think there was less of it at this point, but it was still happening, wasn't it? Well, and also like it's um because I I don't know on that like he locks her in the walls of Jericho, I think. So Shawn Michaels is effectively provoked because. Chris Jericho is a woman beater. That was what I took from it. Just from this video package, I'd imagine there's more to it if you were watching the show. Like it's admirable that Shawn Michaels is sticking up for old Stacey Cuba and all the women, but it's cheap, very cheap. Well, also it does one make you wonder where all the other supposedly nice men were. <laughs> were yeah. they not? Were yeah. they not equally offended by this? I'm apparently not. Yeah, I didn't think the video package was that great. In fact, I didn't think any of the video packages were that great during the show. I, I think it was all the video packages, and as I said earlier on, the the intro, the music in the intro to the show, I just felt the production quality was a little bit off. Most of them lacked any real intensity that they just didn't really have the level of intensity they usually have they didn't tell the stories that well like i didn't really like this wasn't too bad did the chris jericho kind of voiceover to it all but it just wasn't their usual standard i didn't think any of the sort of video package type things that they put in place um that was just my my view on that one note i do have which is very important is that there's one bit where Shawn Michaels is doing an in-ring promo or something, and he is wearing a T-shirt, and it's tucked in. And it is tucked in so tight. It's like a full-body cast. Like, I imagine that was the T-shirt. After he had his back surgery, they said, right, you need to keep your back stable, and they gave him that T-shirt. Because (laughs) I wouldn't be able to move in that t-shirt it's not quite a hoodie tucked into jeans but nothing is, 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 is pretty bloody close so the match is Shawn michaels versus chris jericho and michaels wins after jericho attempts a belly-to-back suplex but michaels rolls all the way over the top and then rolls jericho up for the pin tom i assume this is the the start of this match is the tip of the roller coaster just as you're about to go mm. down Yes, yes. First off, I want to cover the entrance, because what I always find really weird is I don't know why they do this, but they have someone with a normal entrance go first, and then someone with a really long entrance go second, because Shawn Michaels has got his little um, little kind of cannons with confetti in that he's, he's firing out. 
like two of which don't work. And what is amazing is Shawn Michaels' indifference that he puts them. So he fires one off, it works, fires another one off, goes to fire the third one, and he's like, don't worry, he's like, there, chucks it down to the ground, fires another one, it works, goes back to the next one, and it don't work again. And he's just like, <laughs> pretending to cry as he puts it down on the floor. And then he grabs the last one, and he's there going, please, please work, <laughs> please. And it fires it off, and it works. That's quite entertaining. But all the time, Miss Jerko's just stood on the turnbuckle, just watching for ages. Well, the alternative, of course, is what they had during the Undertaker Big Show A-Train match, which is that the Undertaker has this incredibly elaborate roll-in by Limp Biscuit entrance, and it lasts like four or five minutes, and he's got his motorbike and everything. And then Big Show and A-Train come out to Big Show's theme tune, just I... just waddle down to the ring. <laughs> it just doesn't really follow it very well. But I, I, it always comes back to me. I always think back to that. <laughs> the... Um... Triple H versus Sting match. Sting just wanders down to the ring. And then there's about 45 minutes of fucking Triple H dressed up like the fucking Terminator and all, <laughs> and all that shit. And he comes down to the ring. And it's like Sting's first match in, in WWE. Like a big, an absolute legend. And he's just waiting for Triple H as he's fucking dicking around dressed up like the fucking Terminator. Well, not even like the Terminator, like one of the robots, like one of the skeleton yeah. robots. It's madness. Anyway, the, the match itself is very good. Very good. But going on, I want to quickly fast forward everything to the ending, the way you described the ending. I was watching the match and I was like, I've seen this match before, but I can't really remember too many of the too many of the details about it. And uh, <laughs> I was watching it and I was like, oh, that's an interesting pain in combination. Shawn Michaels is going for it at this late stage of the match. I've never seen a match end like, oh. <laughs> I, was, I was literally thinking, I've never seen a match end like that. And that's a three count. There we go. Yeah, the match is great. Like it's it's really I mean it's one of the best wrestlers of all times and Shawn Michaels. So I mean <laughs> you've got yeah, you've got like there's there's all this stuff about like Chris Jericho like imitating Shawn Michaels' moves going for this going for the switching music, constantly trying to get him in the walls of Jericho. It's just a very, very good match. It's not the best match on the card, but it's extremely good, I think. Interesting. I thought this was the sh- this. I thought this was the match that you guys were going to argue for being a classic, and uh, and you didn't. So that was interesting. Oh man, maybe you will. It's very good. I do not think it's a classic because what struck me when I was watching it, it's very good. I'm not doing the match down at all. But I think I touched on this last week with Michaels. He's having a match with himself, and this is no disrespect to Jericho because he play he does his heel stuff incredibly during this match, but. Shawn Michaels could be in there on his own and he'd probably have had a decent old match of it, I think. <laughs> you would say that Shawn Michaels having a match with himself. Everybody tag team with God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lovely. Yeah, amazing. Sorry. That's all right. No, to be fair, that, I mean, that's worth a detour because it's when Vince is in the ring and he's like, no, don't go, God. Don't leave him. <laughs> I got a confession to make. I've never watched it. I've never watched it. Oh, it's it's tremendous. To be fair, God is as good as you'd expect. (laughs) But he's not quite as good as Jericho thinks he is. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so the bit with what Tommy touched upon with Michael's coming down with the confetti guns and taking ages. I love the fact that Jericho is just staring him down the whole time from the turnbuckle. I actually really, really enjoyed that. But that was kind of also where I realize that actually Michaels is just happy to be there and he knows he's going to go in and he knows he's going to have a great match and obviously like up until a few years before up until um 
a year or so before, that maybe didn't think that he'd have a proper WrestleMania match again. So he just looks happy. And I feel like it really detracted from the storyline. Like, it really took away from what the match was actually for. And like, Jericho does his little bit where he does the nip up into the pose. And then Michaels obviously does the same and then beats him up. It's very good, but it's not the classic I thought it was. And there's a bit at the end where I think the commentary needs a note. Because JR enjoys this match, but he doesn't enjoy the fact that Jerry Lawler keeps mentioning WrestleMania in the movie. This is the the first mention I had noted down. And uh, he's like, for God's sake, King, you're beating me up with WrestleMania in the movie. And uh, JR's like, I think I think we've mentioned this before. Like When he gets riled up, he's really, really good. And uh, there's a bit where I think his Michaels kicks out of something and JR goes that that had to be instinct 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 and he just says instinct three times and just <laughs> loses his shit there's the great bit with the kick of Charles Robinson into the ropes Charles Robinson in his Billy Gunn themes with his hair <laughs> absolutely awful hair but <laughs> I've written down the match for me was a tremendous meal with a magnificent ball-kicking dessert. Because obviously at the end, they do the hug, and then Jericho kicks Michaels in the nuts. Just seemed a bit unnecessary, really. I just don't think they should have had the hug. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's maybe the thing. Yeah, they have the bit at the end. Kind of undercuts the whole... Sean Michaels mm. doesn't like Chris Jericho because he beats up women thing as well. Like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm, willing now, I'm willing to now hug Chris Jericho because he gave me a good fight. <laughs> you um, my respect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, just didn't, yeah, it didn't really, just didn't quite work for me. Um, yeah, so at the, at the as you say, at the end, Sean Michaels kind of and Jericho embrace, but then Jericho low blows him and walks away um, in a huff. Um, yeah, I thought it was a, I don't know whether it was because I was expecting a classic. Or that it was that I've seen this match a number of times in the past, or it was because I've seen a number of things since that are more dramatic or hold more attention from the crowd or where they do more intricate things. But everything was just a little bit less impressive than I thought it was going to be all the way through. The best bit for me in the match was what you mentioned, old man, the double nip up where Jericho nip, uh, nips up, does the pose. Shawn Michaels then nips up behind him. And I thought, yeah, great. This this could and, and that kind of put me in the mode of this could be a great match. And then it just never hit that height of a real classic. Still very, very good. Still very, very good indeed. Just not a classic. And I thought I, and I was expecting one, which maybe is part of the problem. I guess ultimately, mate, Chris Jericho is always going to let you down, isn't he, TK? <laughs> he certainly is. And you know what? I really thought going into this match that this is this is the reason why I can accept some people think Jericho's a real, like a top tier legend performer because of these kinds of matches. Coming out of it, I was like, uh, maybe not. Maybe I, maybe I'm still uh, even in this sense of the thing. I just think he's just not quite as good as some people, including himself. Uh, think he is. I, I also wanted this. Is, I wanted to quickly touch on something here about about Shawn Michaels. Well, this is obviously the first WrestleMania in the second, well maybe third leg of his career. Whatever, however you want to define it, it's you know. And this is where the start of the the legacy of Shawn Michaels really kicks off. I think obviously he had a good run in his first in his first part of his career. But I think if you take that in isolation, I don't think people would think of Shawn Michaels in the same way that they do now. Um, his performances post his injury and his return are what makes his career what it is. And I think the 
the the first half of it, despite the fact there are some great moments like the the ladder match at WrestleMania 10, I'd say the Austin match uh, at WrestleMania 14, I think is really good. And maybe the head in the cell with the Undertaker. I still think that they're, they're very good matches, but just like those kind of three moments and obviously the, the, the turn against Marty Janae, which is, as we've discussed before, legendary. It's still not amazing enough to put him in that higher category. And it's this second run and probably starting at this point where he really kind of becomes that that iconic, legendary figure in wrestling. I think um, it's interesting because I think sometimes because of how good this second period is, people tend to play down sometimes. I think you've done a little bit there, Tom, how good he was before, because you you then are searching for matches that are in the same category, if you like, as the match with Jericho and the match with Angle and arguably the match with Triple H at SummerSlam, although I know, Tom, you're not as big a fan of that as, as some people, is matches with The Undertaker at WrestleMania 25 and 26. You know, some just loads of the stuff he did, match with Shelton Benjamin, he had on Raw, for example. So people look at all those and they're searching then for those matches before, like the matches that, that live up to that. But honestly, I, I do think they'd still be in the conversation if he'd just done that first half of his career. I just think the second half, he's not just in the conversation now. He's in the top two, three people that you would even consider. And in many respects, the second half of his career eliminates other people from the conversation just because it was so good. That that first half of his career, I still think, is is, is fantastic. Marvelous standout in terms of the other performers as well. You got If you put it in the context of the time, his matches throughout that period from you know what even if you go back to the rockers like 1988 right through to 1998 10 years he's the best performer in the company with the exception of maybe one or two other people all the way through that period so it's even then it's it, 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 i still think that first half gets almost overlooked just because of how good the, the second half was and so i do agree with you second half is fantastic but i i don't think that even if he had never come back i still think he would still be talked about in those in those ways of course, the one thing we've completely glossed over with this match is Michael's terrible hair. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, his Bob, like Bob Michaels, is not <laughs> like it, it looked like he was trying to play He-Man, but realised he's not Dolph Lundgren. So he's had to give up on that dream. And then Vince has gone, oh, there's a WrestleMania next week, mate. And he's oh, he bloody hair looks stupid. It's all right. You'll be all right. And it made me wonder. So there were years when he, cl- he clung on to his hair somebody can relate to and uh how short did he cut his hair before like did he just have it cut into a bob or was it shorter when he was on his hiatus i don't know that hair basically from the summer slam in which he comes back and then he also wins the elimination chamber doesn't he match and uh, at the Samoa series and then this that looks to me like a deliberate haircut yeah. that's not that's not short hair that's grown up but he's he's had it styled that way he's like do you know what I want to be mistaken for a mum. <laughs> <laughs> Equally, I'm sure when we start watching some of the later matches of his career, we're going to be criticising the ex- extent oh clinging on. The, the match against WrestleMania, I guess you had to take it WrestleMania's 25 and 26. There's a couple of bits that are actually stomach turning. <laughs> <laughs> they really are. It's yeah. awful. So I just think it's difficult. I mean, maybe he should have just gone proper, like, I mean, at that point in time, it wasn't uncool to have just a short haircut, like a properly short haircut. He should have probably just done that, shouldn't he? Like, I think he was just too carried away with keeping his hair long. And I remember when he got his hair cut and there was pictures going around on, on Twitter and he looked so sad when he got his hair finally <laughs> cut. And it made me think of that at that point because he looked, he looked his age as well. That he maybe should have been the heartburn kid. 
I'm not sure the word kid should have been anywhere near it by that point. So then we have a backstage bit where Sylvain Grenier, um, <laughs> the referee on the SmackDown round at this point, goes into Mr. McMahon's dressing room. That's all we see. Then uh, Tony Chimmel once again announces Limp Biscuit as WWE's favorite band in the world um, before they perform the theme to WrestleMania 19, Crack Addict. Anything on these two bits? I just like the fact that WrestleMania, you know, the grandest stage of the war, the biggest pay-per-view in WWE, the biggest, uh, they also announced the biggest crowd attendance at Safeco Field at 54,090-something. It, it's it's a big deal. And then here's our favourite band, Limp Bizkit, performing their song, Crack Addict. <laughs> I was like, yeah. what? And then obviously when you hear it, when they perform the song, and he says, I'm a crack addict, I'm addicted to cracking skulls, you're like... Oh, okay, I get it. I don't know. It's a kind of witty kind of play on words, but also it was just I know performing the theme to WrestleMania, crack addict. <laughs> what? You've done you've done yourself no favors by saying a witty pun to the word. <laughs> uh, inverted commas, you know, witty pun. Um, the disparity between you know the size and the grand grandiose nature of WrestleMania and the song being called Crack Addict just make, really struck a chord with me for some reason. Yeah, and once again, it kind of undercuts that initial video package of the history and the tradition and the all that kind of stuff of WrestleMania. And then, yeah, Crack Addict is the is the official song. Getting back to old Sylvain Grenier quickly, there's a lovely little xenophobic comment. I think is Lawler says, don't trust the French speaking folk, which is mm. nice. Well, that would have been obviously it's difficult to remember this now, but that would have been at the period when before the Iraq war, of course, the French were in the UN effectively holding up the uh, UN's involvement in that war, suggesting that it was illegal. And I think um, some people within America, their response to that was to change the word, change the name of French fries to freedom fries. I think you'll you'll probably remember. And of course, it did eventually lead to La Resistance, the uh, French, okay. French Canadian based tag team that Sylvain Grenier was a part of. And let's, let's not forget, wasn't the war actually illegal? I think it probably was. Yeah, I think that's the uh, I think that's very much tradition. And I think I think since about 2005, the vast majority of people in this country and in America have suggested that it probably shouldn't have happened. But uh, at the time, sentiments were a little bit different, I think, in in certain places. Do you know if there's been an apology from Jerry Lawler to Sylvan Grani? (laughs) (laughs) Seeing as there hasn't been an apology from George Bush and Tony Blair to the Iraq people, I don't imagine there has been. No. Um, do we uh, also decide to one comment? I criticised Limbiscuit for their performance of um, of uh, Rolling, which I thought was subpar, especially Fred Durst's part in it. But I thought the performance, despite the fact that I didn't particularly like the song, I thought the performance was very good. Yeah, I would say that this is probably their best performance on the show. <laughs> Tough one to call that one. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have Jonathan Colt Coachman. Um, now in front of the fans, and he introduces the Miller Lite um, catfight girls, Tanya Ballinger and Katana Baker, are their names, um, for a pillow fight match. And they come out to what is about the biggest bed I've ever seen in my life. It is humongous. Then, just before they can get going, Stacey Keebler arrives and enters herself into the match, and so does Tori Wilson. 
They spend a few moments ripping each other's clothes off, to which Jerry Lawler gets very, very excited indeed on commentary. Eventually, Coach gets involved uh, in the classic uh, women rolling over men spot whilst they're fighting. <laughs> uh, the women then pull their uh, resources and turn on the coach. They yank his trousers down, exposing his white <laughs> underpants. And then um, he is pinned by Stacy as Tori Wilson counts the fall. And that's the end of this uh, of this classic, <laughs> classic segment. It's so nonsensical. Sorry, old man. I know you're desperate to jump in, so I'll keep oh. it short. But, like, it's, it's there for titillation. But then just the entire... Do you know what? Let's just chuck Coachman under the bus. It's amazing. It's just yeah. so daft. Um, but as, he, as I said earlier, presented with the same level of seriousness as the women's match earlier, despite the yeah. fact that it's absolutely absurd. But, yeah, sorry, old man. Oh, no. It's, uh, to be honest, it's not particularly nice to be honest like watching it back now but it's stupid stuff like Lawler asks JR if he likes a three-way after Stacey Keebler comes out which JR obviously no sells and then my god they start so when Tory Wilson comes out they start talking about Tory Wilson's playboy issue which I'm assuming has just come out or is about to be released JR talks about it as I would talk about a packet of chocolate OTs he is talking about he's like unbelievable and it's like has he done a little jizz in his pants like at one point and I was a bit like oh that's not very nice and then the coach gets involved and it is I mean when he gets pantsed when he gets pantsed (laughs) I'm crying with laughter on the sofa because I remembered it happening about a second before it did and what I find so up to this point to be honest I'm with it like I I have no problem with it the crowd are into it the women are having a good time. It's not particularly tasteful, but ah, come on, let's go on with it. And then they pin the coach, and all logic is lost. So your problem is that the um, the integrity of the competition is destroyed in the last moment of this thing. <laughs> it's a pillow fight. It's not a pinno fight. Can I can I also just something we didn't? I can't remember. I think it's the first interaction between the Miller like catfight girls and uh, Stacy and Tori. Um, when they bump into them backstage, Stacey and Tori are reading the Playboy magazine that she's in. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's your bush. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's so weird. Like, it's just so weird. What an odd thing to be doing. I know they're probably promoting it, but it's so weird. Imagine imagine if one of us showed our bollocks in a magazine, and then you come around the corner, and I'm there with old man being like, what do you think of that, mate? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think I get your point entirely. I also feel like I should apologise because I definitely gave the uh, rundown of what happens during this segment far more attention than I do the, every single other match. The only reason for that is because I'm I'm assuming that we're not going to do much analysis on it, so I'm just going to blaze past it pretty quickly. Obviously, that wasn't the case here. Yeah, it's just it's a sign of the time that the crowd are gagging for this. I could get on bored with pretty much anything that sees the coach getting pantsed <laughs> that's just like i think that's what i took from it was him getting pantsed rather than any titillation yeah fair enough so i think in terms of titillation and sort of uh, silliness really that's the last of it we are now heads down very important everything's treated with utter seriousness for the rest of the show pretty much um and that begins with the video package for the build-up of triple h and booker t um which i think is important to point out during this period that 
Triple H said some pretty questionable things in the build-up to this match with Booker T. They don't include much of it during this package, but one thing they do have is Triple H saying, someone like you can't be champion to Booker T, which was kind of sums up the overall theme of this feud, um, where they were really bringing into the mix Booker T's history and his past before he was even a pro wrestler. Um, and it was all a little bit racial and a little bit um, uncomfortable, quite frankly. Thoughts on the build, the package, anything? It, the video package isn't nice. Like you've summed it up quite nicely. The problem I have is when we get into the match, and they kind of, well, one of the commentary team really doubles down on it. Mm. And uh, it's it's just not. It didn't play well at the time. No, it, it didn't. It doesn't play well now. And it's, I think, my problem with it, and it's so cheap and so lazy and so unpleasant that it just doesn't really, it shouldn't be used. Well, it shouldn't be used anyway. But it should be used definitely in a form of entertainment where you're like, all you're doing is selling a wrestling match. Don't bring these things in. Like, it, yeah, it's just not. It's not very pleasant. I don't really. Also, I think because of the way that the match finishes, it's all for nothing. Because yeah. the whole point of focusing on Booker T's criminal past, well, if you're going to use that, there needs to be some redemption. And it needs to be a, if you make mistakes in your life, you can turn them around and you can reach the top of the tree like this guy has. The, the, the build is bad, but if you're really going to go there, then the end is important because the end mm. ultimately shows where where you were, what you were trying to achieve with it. And I think we'll find out in a moment that the end isn't great. Uh, Tom? I would just say I agree uh, with everything that you boys have said. Um, yeah, I don't like the build up to it. I don't like the way it's done. I especially don't like the way it's done when you take the ending of the match into account. You're right, old man, you hit the nail on the head when you said about the, about the you know, you need to be some kind of... It, all it does is basically prove that Triple H is right. But yeah, if you're if you're a black person who's made mistakes, you you're still not going to be anything, and ultimately that that's proven to be correct, which is uh, is not on. So yeah, the match itself, uh, Triple H versus Booker T for the World Heavyweight Title, back to their lovely naming convention. I much prefer it now, where at least in the main you've got either Raw or SmackDown championships, mm. and then the world, uh, the the two main titles are the WWE and the Universal. So they've got clear naming differences. Back then, though, as I've said a number of times during the show, <laughs> fucking hate the naming conventions of the belts. Back then, this one goes for 19 minutes, and Triple H successfully defends the title after hitting a pedigree, and then slowly calling over to Booker to get the pin. Um, we'll start with you, old man. Um, thoughts on the match? Before we get into the uh, the actual match, very odd to see someone wearing mauve pants, which Triple H is doing in this match, Indeed. which is it's not really the done thing, to be honest. Um, Lawler's commentary is horrific in this. Like, absolutely awful, awful. Like, so above and beyond anything that it should be or needs to be jr clearly does not enjoy it mm. and he tries to cut him down numerous numerous times and in the end kind of has to give up i think and i think lawler kind of lawler and or whoever's in his ear kind of get the message it's very difficult this match because i kind of tried to watch it objectively as a standalone thing kind of ignoring all the shenanigans around it now i don't know whether it's the build or what but the crowd do not care about either of these people 
Yeah. This is something that I really took from it. And so, I mean, it just wipes out everything that they've done in the build, because if you're going to use the things that Triple H has used, like the heat that he should be getting should be incredible. Doesn't they both guys basically barely get any reaction when they come down. The matches slow it comes off the back of four good matches and it comes off the back of the coach getting pantsed in a little fun segment i think it jumps from a bit of fun in inverted commas to very serious and the end is just horrible just really horrible just like especially with the build like for people who don't know the Triple H hits a pedigree, kind of from nowhere as well. And then I know I'm prone to hyperbole, but it must take him 12 to 15 seconds, maybe longer, to crawl over to cover Booker T. And like watching the match, I could kind of make the case to say that Booker T's selling everything. But especially at this point, no one ain't kicking out of the pedigree. And it just feels really grimy and horrible and unnecessary. And also, I think watching it as well and seeing the crowd reaction, regardless of how they got there, I don't think the crowd are invested in Booker T at all. So maybe putting the title on him wouldn't have been the best idea. But don't do it this way. Like, don't do not do all this horrible shit. I don't think that the fans are that invested in Booker T or at least to the extent to which a world champion needs to have investment in them. But I also think that neither does Triple H. Triple H has no investment Mm. in him as a character at this point either. You can, you can, as you said, there is a definite lack of fan interest that's letting this match down throughout. But even in the ending, when Triple H hits the pedigree and wins it, the crowd reaction to that is near silence. And that is very rare, even for matches that people aren't interested in. And it feels at that point like the fans themselves are like, come on, Booker T had to win this match. Like, it, it really feels that way. Like, the, the moment he wins a match, there is a, a feeling like, hang on, Booker T really needed to win this one. Even if you take the belt off him again in a month's time, he needed to win. And I feel like the reason they kept the belt on Triple H is actually probably not to do with how, how in bad taste WWR at the time. Uh, probably more because they've got Goldberg in the waiting in the wings to to debut the next night and they're uh, the heading for Goldberg versus Triple H over the summer which is I think why they end up not having Booker T win but ultimately you've done this build now you kind of need to pay it off in the right way in terms of the match itself I thought it was better than you thought it was old man I thought it was quite a good match actually I enjoyed the action that they and the work they put into it and um there was some really good moments i thought that booker t's uh somersault leg drop off the top rope was was quite interesting and, and quite spectacular for a guy of booker t's size it's not the most tidy or <laughs> or um, smooth of of moves but it certainly suggested that booker t himself was trying to pull everything out to make this quite special and so i thought it was a good match but you're right the whole setup to and finale ultimately of this little bit of of history lets it down because you are um you're in a point where the wwe really need to pay this off in a positive way towards booker t in order to justify even slightly the build to it and they failed to do so so it's just a really um poor end but not a bad match i thought uh tom are you boys have covered it all grandly i um yeah, it's a missed opportunity, badly executed. The actual match in itself is quite good. I mean, Triple H is, in my opinion, one of the best sellers of all time. He just he just you know, goes around the ring. But 
the ending especially is very disappointing with the incredibly slow crawl to the to the end it just does a massive have him kick out and just hit him with another pedigree and pin do you know what I mean that would at least show something and show everyone kicks out of people kick out of finishes all the time even then but you you'll see it in in, the, in one of the matches later it's false finishes people kicking out of, out of finishes all the time like to make him crawl over to him then pin him and then not have him kick out is just really really bad booking bad way of presenting it and, and it just shows that Booker T's not a credible threat yeah I think that's really key is again the context of what else is going on in this show already the Shawn Michaels Jericho match we've seen Jericho kick out of Switching Music and so if you had the whole show finishes ending matches and people not kicking out of those matches uh, of those of those moves no problem actually probably in terms of it doesn't make him look weak but you've already had it and then later on in the show you're going to get it to the extreme people kicking out people's finishers it just really in the context of the time really uh, lets it down and also the fact that it's not an instantaneous cover as well as, as you said old man there is that sort of slow crawl over to him to get the pin it just it not only uh, ends the match with the wrong result but it ends it with the wrong result and a really really anticlimactic finish um which doesn't help things at all next up we have the video package to hype vince mcmahon versus hulk hogan that again i've written here that this is an, a decent a decent package but again there's a notable lack of intensity about this as well as there was about all the video packages with the exception of one which is still to come uh any thoughts on the hogan vince stuff tom the build-up to it is very, it's very good. I like the fact that they show, you know, the fact that there was all of the, um, you know, the steroid scandal stuff in it. Mm. Obviously, the build-up, which they don't show in the in the promo, is is got the world-renowned, incredible promo of Hulk of Hulk Hogan saying, "If you just think that I was the right guy at the right at the wrong time." And let me say that again, just so you're clear, <laughs> McMahon. Let me just say one more time so it gets in your head. If you really think, if you actually believe in your mind that I was just the right gay guy, <laughs> then you're a bigger delusional <laughs> bastard than I thought, McMahon. <laughs> it's, Amazing. it's wonderful. That is tremendous. Hulk Hogan coming out of the courthouse wearing a bandana is always a treat. But yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's, 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 I know you're not that hard on the video packages, but. In terms of the build-up for this specific match, it kind of shows you everything that you need to. Yeah, I, I mean, as I said, I thought this was a good video package. It just there was a notable, noticeable lack of intensity about all of them. And I guess this one, I could let it off because they told a really good story about their history together. But it was very, very similar to everything else that had come before. Um, the match itself... Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna run through this because there's a bit of a busy finish to this one. So it's 21 minutes in length. Um, the end sees Vince McMahon push referee Brian Hebner out of the ring after he shows concern for Vince's welfare. Vince then motions to the back for another referee, which brings out both Sylvain Grenier and another referee, which I didn't catch the name of. Grenier decks the other ref. McMahon then hits a leg drop on Hogan and goes for the cover, but Hogan kicks out and hulks up. Hogan gets rid of Grenier then hits a big boot to Vince then hits three leg drops and then covers him by which time Brian Hebner is recovered and makes the count Tom your thoughts on the match I fucking love this match (laughs) I absolutely fucking love it it's amazing it's two fucking stupid old farts mucking about in the ring in an absolute ridiculous over the top bloodbath 
because if they tried to do an actual normal match, it would have been an absolute disgrace. I want to talk about the entrance, first of all. Um, obviously, Hogan comes down, and they've had to redub over Voodoo Child by uh, Jimi Hendrix. So it's quite funny watching Hulk Hogan sing along to a song where there's no lyrics. Um, <laughs> the overdubbing's really bad, and they have really badly overdubbed fake crowd noise over mm. Hogan's. So it's obviously, they've dubbed over and dubbed over again. The, the match in itself is so much fun. I fucking love it. The bit when they fucking when Hugo Savinovich gets twatted by the chair is <laughs> so funny. <laughs> every time I watch it, I completely forget that it happened, <laughs> and every time it reacts a massive belly laugh from me because it's so just out of context and it busts him open as well. <laughs> He's just left it bleeding. It's so good. Um, the, the, there's so many good moments in it. There's the, the leg drop off the ladder. There's the bit where he emerges, where Vincent Mann emerges with the pipe from underneath the ring and his face is covered in blood and he just looks demented. There's the piper running, which makes no sense at all. Yeah. Spits on Hogan, hits Vincent Mann, spits on Hogan again, tells him all to kiss his ass and fucks off. For no reason. He's got a T-shirt that doesn't even say Hot Rod on it. I don't know what it says on this T-shirt, but it's completely irrelevant to anything. Ah, oh, it's just it's amazing. I love this match so much. This it's not my favourite match on the on the show, but it would be if the other match wasn't on there. It's it's such a laugh. Because I guess it does and it it does and it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's 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 as I said at the beginning, it's two old farts making fools of themselves, <laughs> absolutely disgracing themselves in the ring for twenty one minutes. And I love it. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's the differential for me. Is I think you're right. I think they are taking it entirely seriously. I think Vince and Hulk Hogan and the promotion, WWE, the commentators, everybody is taking it as seriously as they can. But they have thrown everything they possibly can at it to make sure that it isn't Bret Hart versus Vince McMahon. Quite frankly, they, oh, they're, 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 they're doing everything they can to make sure it is not a car crash. And in the end, it's not. It's an entirely entertaining 21 minutes, which is quite frankly a disgraceful amount of time to give these two <laughs> to wrestle out a match. And I think it's a match of two halves because I think the first half of it is is a, is like oh god this is going to be dreadful and then the second half is like they just then then they just chuck everything at it including as you say the moment where uh, Vince McMahon goes to hit Hulk Hogan with a steel chair and instead Hogan ducks and poor old Hugo Savinovich of the Spanish <laughs> takes it full on in the head busted open and and it, and all the other bits and pieces in between as well piper coming out hitting hogan with the steel pipe but clearly showing that he doesn't like either vincent man or uh hogan and in fact also looks like he's put on an incredible amount of weight as well at the mm. same time like he's massively out of shape he's he's almost as big as i am um it's just not it, it, it's it's not one for the purists let's say but it is <laughs> <laughs> An entirely uh, entertaining slice of Matt action. Old man. I mean, you've both covered it beautifully. I know uh, when Hugo Savinovich... So <laughs> the medics come down to help <laughs> Savinovich. And I think it's Michael Cole. Because at this point, Vince McMahon and Hogan are both down selling stuff. And Michael Cole is aghast that they're helping the commentator and not the performers. He like <laughs> properly goes... Why, why are you helping an announcer? Obviously, implying they should be helping the boss as well. And then Taz, when he's getting ca- when Safinovich is getting carried to the back, he goes, hasta la vista, um, amigo. <laughs> it's like fucking <laughs> out. The whole presentation of it is just, is just so much fun. This is, for me, a classic, you boys have come around to my house, 
We've had a couple of beers. Come on, let's chuck on fucking Hogan McMahon from 19. It's a classic. Like let's let's get let's have a laugh and have a couple of beers and watch it. And that's exactly how I felt when I was watching it, despite being Stone Cold sober. And you know, straight after that, he'd have forced us to watch Samojo versus Kenta Kabashi again as well. <laughs> yeah, and then and then um, Mike Awesome versus um, what's his name, the guy at One Night Stand. Tanaka, Masato Tanaka. Tanaka, Masato Tanaka. Yeah, and that after, immediately after it. It would have been a lovely, a lovely hour spent watching those three matches. Well, if that happened, then I'd be like, right, it's time for it's the right time to break out the absolute classic that is Brett versus Owen at WrestleMania 10. Then that would be the next one. That's you know, getting... you know, I'd, you know, I'd be happy with that. You know, that's coming out next. Can I just give a special note to Brian Hebner? My word, Vince McMahon. I think manhandles is the only way. That I... Vince McMahon is obviously having the time of his life dragging Brian Hebner around the ring, and then he eventually just lobs him out. Of it. Oh yeah, because he can't he can't get him over the top rope, can he? Yeah. <laughs> I actually think, to be honest, when the hotspot comes down, well, when the hotspot makes his appearance, it kind of lost me a bit, to be honest, because it's so stupid and nonsensical and Piper is just not very good because he's got the lead pipe and he's looking at Vince Man. He's like, "Come on, Junior! Come on, Junior!" And he keeps looking at Hogan. And Hogan's Hogan's selling like a champ. He takes so long to get up that by the time Piper hits him, you're not surprised. You'd say, "Well, I knew that was going to happen." You stupid sod, piss off. Well, the other the other thing to just do this down, this just match down a little bit is if you ever watch it again, um, just check out the fact that Hogan has to sell. Vince McMahon's punches in the early going and you'll mm. see <laughs> maybe why this isn't a particularly good match because my Although, goodness I will say though Vince McMahon is fucking enormous he's actually bigger than Hogan in this match I think. he is mm. massive he is absolutely yeah. gigantic um, just one other thing I'd like to touch on before this there is an incredible amount of bull shots in this match <laughs> it made made me think like, when was the last time you boys got hit in the bollocks I, I think I got hit in the bollocks playing basketball about a maybe a year ago now like it just and it wasn't even a hard a hard connection just a little bit of like a clip and it was enough to kind of send me down for about 10 minutes this is what i was wondering when you guys last got in the bollocks uh, as i was very often these conversations go those clips are the worst ones oh mm. so bad the full-on like <laughs> ball, the full-on balls to the balls <laughs> the ball to the balls <laughs> Is, is obviously very, very uncomfortable and painful. But the thing is, is that there's just an acknowledgement that it is and everyone stops and you can you can writhe around in agony for a bit, safe in the knowledge that everyone understands that that's fine. But when you get clipped right on the tip and no one's even like no one's even noticed it, like then you're like wh- everyone's looking at you like, why? Why are you in such pain? <laughs> you barely got touched. And mm. it's, that's when it's the worst. <laughs> It's the impact to pain ratio, isn't it? When you get hit full on the bollocks, you're like, this is going to fucking hurt. I know it. But just the, the, the impact to pain ratio you get from a little clip to the knackers, there's nothing else like it, I don't think. There's no, I can't think, could you imagine if you just like, I don't know, it's like knocked your hand on the table and it crippling you for 10 minutes? You can't, <laughs> can it? Oh. I can't remember the last time um, I took a shot to the bollocks at all, but I can remember that like literally this week, uh, I got very close to it when um, Joey, my dog, jumped onto the bed between my legs and just managed what? to land his paw just to the south of them. And I was like, thank God for that, because that would have killed. That's actually one of my parents' dogs. I went around to see them, oh, I don't know, it was a month or so ago. It was post-Christmas. And one of them jumped up and did that thing, like a paw 
I was wearing shorts. I was wearing some looser boxers. Just wrapped their paw on my on my poor testicles. And uh, yeah, bloody hurt. And uh, also, I'm glad you mentioned the ball shots because Vince McMahon makes an incredible noise on one of them. He goes, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> I think right there, I'm going to call it uh, a day for this part of the show. We'll come back in just a moment to finish off this uh, card where we've got two more matches. We've got our summary of the show. And of course, we've got the game. See you in a moment. Championship, and that just might happen against Brock Lesnar. And Brock Lesnar, oh, quick to middle time. Here we go. The challenger quickly on the attack. Here we and go. It could be over. Five. No. And five connects. Lesnar will be crowned the new champion of Jersey. And wait a minute. Brock covering. It's for the title. Uh, he looks confused. I don't know what Brock's. How's he going? This is weird, Cole. Whoa, whoa. Just see that. That's not Kurt Angle in the ring. No, Kurt Angle's just switched with somebody. Wait a minute. Oh, a roll-up. Well, that's not Angle. Yes, it is. What Angle pulled off tonight was pure genius. At WrestleMania, Brock Lesnar gets Kurt Angle for the WWE title. Should anybody interfere in that match on your behalf should you try to be counted out should you get disqualified then you will forfeit the title to Brock Lesnar I won an Olympic gold medal with a broken freaking neck and I could surely beat Brock Lesnar one more time at Wrestlemania these two men hate each other cold I'm coming with everything I have and if I have a chance to hurt you injure you or even end your career i won't think twice about it the two greatest athletes to grace the wwe ring will face each other for the ultimate prize no longer advantage champion level playing field at wrestlemania not team angle not eric angle not paul Heyman. kurt angle can only rely on himself to stop lesnar kurt angle and brock lesnar for the wwe title here comes the here pain, comes the, pain. Comes the pain, comes the pain. Okay, then it's part three. And I think we will probably have to get used to the fact that these are going to go into three parts, these WrestleMania episodes, because they're always just that little bit longer. And uh, this one, this isn't a particularly big card. It's got nine matches, but 
as I said, the last five are all pretty long, pretty hefty ones. And the next one is no different. We get the video package hyping it, which is The Rock versus Steve Austin. It has a very similar feel to their video package for WrestleMania 17, right down to the Limp Biscuit song that they're using to uh, sort of do the hyping for it. Although it's just a little bit less impressive, I think, than the WrestleMania 17 one. Uh, and then we have the match itself. The match lasts for 18 minutes and The Rock wins after hitting a third rock bottom to get the victory. Uh, let's start with you, Thomas. This match is brilliant. This, this match is my match of the night. I really, really enjoyed it. The match is great. It's got that. It's got again, like you kind of said, and very much comes into the next match as well. It feels like a big deal. And like you said earlier, old man, this match isn't for anything. It's not for a title. It's not for. It's not for any other reason. Only that I haven't beaten you at WrestleMania, and I want to beat you. And so that kind of gives itself its own kind of like myth. Like this is where it sits in the mythology of of Stone Cold and The Rock. The, the match itself is, is great, but it, it makes me think, like, I've said this to you boys before, but this is the first time I'm going to say it on the podcast. Bret Hart is my favourite wrestler of all time, but Stone Cold Steve Austin is the greatest of all time because he had everything. Um, He had the, not the, the ability to talk, he had, you could say about his matches, post the neck injury not being, you know, technically great, but it doesn't matter because you care about everything, and he was able to adjust his style to be able to adopt in that brawling kind of way. This is our first Stone Cold Steve Austin match as well. Yeah. Doing the, doing this, which is, which is madness, really, when you think about it. Um, But it's, it's just, he is, he's so good. He's, he is the, the best ever, I think. Can I add to that as well? Because I don't think I don't think you can look at who the best ever is without also considering how much of a draw they were. Um, mm. Because ultimately, the point of wrestling is to make money and to draw draw people in by you know your characters, your matches, your promos, and everything. Not many people have drawn as much money as Steve Austin has, so that also needs to count for him yeah. in terms of that that measurement. Definitely, and I also think as well that the Rock Austin is the greatest feud in the WWE in the history of. WWE other you can you can chuck Austin McMahon in there mm. it's got to be but I'm thinking of in terms of like a pure wrestling feud you know it's it's these two and what I just said about uh, Austin in there is not at all to detract away from what The Rock does in this match as well The Rock is absolutely phenomenal phenomenal his his offense his selling his little things there's there's a bit like where he like recovers from a roof he, he takes Austin's um waistcoat and puts it on and He's constantly just checking to make sure it's on properly. Do you know what I mean? Like, and these stupid things. He's not playing up to the crowd at all. Or if he is, it's in a fuck off kind of way. Like, I'm not interested in you. Just, this is a, a great match. I don't know where it sits in the Austin Rock canon. Um, but I think it's probably better than their match at 17. And certainly for me, got a more satisfying ending. The fact there's a clean ending as well. I mean, there's a bit of a, there's a ball shot in there somewhere a couple of times, but other than that, it's a clean, clean match. It's just phenomenal. Everything about this match, I, I loved. And I feel like this is the, the bit where JR and the King actually do really, really well on commentary. It's the first time that the Jerry Lawler isn't completely intolerable in the entire, in the entire pay-per-view. And, um, JR is just again he's he's got his big big match hat on he's got his big boy pants on in this match really selling the importance of it and it's just a phenomenal match I love the ending and it also take, takes on real poignancy in watching it again now knowing that it is Austin's last match and I get the impression 
that The Rock wants to put everything into it because he obviously knew, didn't he? Apparently that, that it was his last match. It was only him, him that really knew. So you, and watching it again, you can kind of tell that he knows that and he's putting everything into it that he can to give Austin his the best match that he can possibly have for his final match. It's interesting, obviously, from the Shawn Michaels Jericho match, you have certain memories of matches and you're thinking, oh, that's one of the classics. That's one of the the WrestleMania classics. And before the show, and I don't know if I'm any different to what I was before the show in terms of this match, I would have told you that this is their weakest. This is the weakest of the Rock Steve Austin trilogy. Now, I'm not certain of that because, as I say, I feel like in the past I've overvalued Shawn Michaels versus Chris Jericho. And I imagine if we were to one, one day look at those other two matches that they've had at WrestleMania, 15 and 17 i might need to revise my opinion on those matches but just in terms of my memory right now to your point about you saying you think it's better than wrestlemania 17 this to me was always in my mind the weakest of the three and i didn't see something here whilst i was watching it that changed that opinion as i said it may change if i saw the other ones again but i still thought it was entirely enjoyable entirely um uh, exciting I just think they went quite early to the big moves and the false finishes and stuff. Like it felt like they were doing stunners and rock bottoms and people's elbows from about six or seven minutes in. And then there was like 10, 11 minutes of that stuff. Now I might be misremembering, but it just felt like they went to the, they went to the home stretch way, way before the end of the match, which in the end made me feel a little bit like it was going for epic and didn't quite make it because they overegged it to me but that was just my opinion on that side of things i, I think that you got i think you've got to take into account austin's physical condition at this point as well sure I think yeah, that's sure. probably why they do that and if you then uh, uh, that was what i read into that as being yeah and that's probably the case uh that is probably the case the rock you're right was fantastic when he taunting the crowd just magnificent in terms of the his whole performance like i think it's again like you it's very easy to forget that stuff in the midst of trying to put on a classic or trying to put on this really important big match where you're expected to deliver real excitement it's so easy to forget in the heat of the moment to do the stuff that plays the crowd and winds them up and gets them annoyed with you as the heel because you're pursuing that great match so much and the rock doesn't forget he just does it delivers it as effortlessly as you might imagine as well he wins them over at the end as well does yeah the the crowd are actually cheering him in a way they're booing him the shit out of him at the beginning yeah and in a way that kind of the opposite to the previous year's wrestlemania against hogan so, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a very good match. Don't get me wrong. I've got basically I've, I try and mark every match out of 10. I've got three matches that were eight out of 10s and I've got three matches that were seven out of 10. And this is one of the eight out of 10s. So I don't don't get me wrong. I still think it's a very, very good match. But again, full short of being absolutely classic. Old man. The first thing is going back to the video package. There's a bit early on where Austin's jorts are split, which made me laugh. Like just split down the back. I mean, I'm kind of halfway between the two of you. I I love this. I love watching this, but I loved it because what they do, they just play the hits. Mm. That's what they do. They know they are. This is two guys that are so comfortable with each other and playing off of each other that. You see nothing in this match that you haven't seen before, but it's just great. It's just nice. And it also, it felt like this is kind of like a torch passing thing from these guys to the rest of the roster, I think. 
just kind of saying, right, we're done, enjoy it. I know The Rock's come back sporadically, and he hangs around after this as well, but I feel like this is very much a, right, this is our last hurrah, go off and enjoy it. I mean, The Rock's selling is unbelievable. Austin's punches are unbelievable. Austin, and this made me miss Austin, because he's, I'll keep saying it, I think, when I talk about that, like, there's just so much comfort in how they work. Like, they know exactly who they are. They're not trying to impress anyone. They don't need to impress anyone. They're concentrating on entertaining people. They're just trying to give people, give the people what they want. And it's it's just great fun. And I think that's exactly what I took from it, is that it's great fun. Mm. Like, it's just two guys doing what they did one last time. I mean, like, we've kind of touched upon their WrestleMania matches. I actually think their best match is Backlash 1999 after WrestleMania 15, which is just, like, just tremendous fun. And I think that's what I think about. Like, there's such intensity to what these guys do when they get together in the ring, but it's all fun. It all feels like they're taking you on a little journey and they're giving you everything they've got. But they're having fun doing it as well, even with the intensity and the story behind it. On a side note, the other thing that occurred to me while I was watching this match is that The Rock sets Austin up for the people's elbow. And I realised that everyone who's taken the people's elbow just has three, four, five seconds of just looking up at The Rock's bollocks <laughs> and his gooch and his asshole. And I thought, oh, horrible thing. Never one to let you down on the uh, horrible kind of uh, visuals old man yeah. uh, delivers once again well so, speaking of horrible visuals austin after he leaves the ring i must say uh, the, he looks awful at the end of this match obviously there's a lot about him being enormously dehydrated and having to go to the hospital and get pumped full of fluids the night before he looks genuinely awful at the end of the match but over the pro he goes around and salutes some crowd. That uh, The section that he salutes is, if you're looking from the ring at the entrance ramp, they're on the right-hand side. And from their angle, I don't think they can see anything. I think the only thing that they will have seen is the cat fight and Steve Austin doing this salute. This has been a very bollock-heavy episode, hasn't it? Uh, always <laughs> is. Even down to the looking at pictures of each other's bollocks in Playboy. <laughs> well, yeah, well exactly. let's be honest you say each other's it was just tom whose mighty bollocks are, are the centerfold whereas tinky me and you have been relegated to page seven and nine respectively well if you will uh, spend all of your money on rhythm magazines then that's what you're <laughs> gonna get yeah no it, it's interesting it's just, it's a it's a it's austin's last match it's the rocks last the last featured rock match at wrestlemania until the cena matches i know that He's involved with uh, Mick Foley the following year, um, but it's it's a bit of a nothing match on the undercard, in, in fairness, given that it's the Rock and Sock Connections reunion. I've, there's got this weird feeling around this period, and it's one of the reasons why I struggled for a while to and, and ultimately stopped watching wrestling regularly, because I did watch this show live. But there is a feeling that the Rock and Austin accomplished the goal of winning the Monday Night War for WWE, and then are almost either pushed or choose to move to the side for everyone else to take over 
over and this is kind of the end this is them saying right we're done now rock going off to hollywood he's going to still put goldberg over on the way out uh, like the yeah. true pro that he is and austin's lost this match probably simply so that rock can do that and still maintain the sense that he's important um and austin will never wrestle again and because he's injured and it's just so there is an emotional side to it one of the things that i was going to suggest we do um was watch the mania of wrestlemania which is obviously the documentary that covers this show it's released on the wrestlemania 20 dvd uh, release and it's got all the stuff about what you said old man about austin's dehydration the night before in the hotel and he said he was you know determined to have the the match no matter what and it's got a load of stuff also about the next match which we will come on to it's an it's a tremendous documentary anyone who's not seen it try your best to find it i couldn't find it anywhere online it's not on the wwe network i do have the wrestlemania 20 dvd so i could fish them out and watch it from there but they're up in the attic so it even that would take a little bit of effort but if you if you haven't seen it try and try and find a way of seeing it because in my opinion best documentary wwe have ever made it is brilliant it is brilliant um so yeah we move on to the main event kurt angle versus brock lesnar um as with the majority of this show there is a, a little promo video beforehand hyping up uh, the match and then we get the match which is uh, 21 minutes in length it's for uh, Kurt Angle's WWE title and finishes when Brock Lesnar misses a shooting star press. Angle goes for the cover. Lesnar kicks out. Lesnar then stops Angle kicking him, hits a third F5 and then gets the win with a pinfall. Oh, man, let's start with your thoughts on this one. We mentioned him early in the show. Taz's commentary in this match is excellent because I think this is very much where he's comfortable. He's calling holds. And he also had some opinions on how it feels to be in certain holds, which I thought was very nice. Um, Michael Cole does a cracking Harley race impression at the start of the match. Where he's, <laughs> he really, he's really gravelly. He's like, <laughs> I know on the belt, because I can't let this, the title belt is disgusting. It's a repulsive <laughs> piece of shit. And I don't know what they were thinking. And I'd kind of forgotten how horrible it is. Something very strange came into my head when I was watching this match. I know where this is coming from, so I don't know how this will hit with you boys, but Kurt Angle is bold in this match. I feel like if he has his hair, it's not as good a match (laughs) in terms of the visual, because when he shaves his head, well, he's still got it. He looks like such a double-eyed bastard. And I think that that really plays in with the fact that Lesnar is a double-eyed bastard. And it's kind of like set up as this fight, but wrestling match of two double-eyed bastards. Mm. And I know that feels like a really stupid thing to say, but it really hit when I was watching it. I was like, it would have been a very different... Is it Just on that bit about the hair before you move on yeah. old man it is a very important point though and an important part of angle's transition to who he mm. was in the second half of his wwe uh mm. stint and then what he would be in tna because of course when he came in for the first two three years he's comedy angle he's the guy who kind of does all the silly stuff he's a nerd he's a geek he drinks milk he you know tries to uh fight for abstinence and all, all kinds of stuff like he's he is the butt of the jokes he's phenomenal and he manages or, or instantly to make the main event but he's still the butt of the jokes he couldn't be the angle that he is here as you say with still with the hair because he would still look exactly the same as the guy that was the butt of all the jokes and the wwe to their credit used the hair 
as a way to transition him from that joke character to the hard Kurt Angle character by having him lose the um the, the hair versus the hair versus hair match against edge after which he was shaved and then had the kind of headgear with the wig on for a bit and then of course he was then able to be <laughs> and then he was able to be bold and just transition into the hard angle and so i think it's a great point it is very important to angles transition here no and i was yeah. thinking to myself i didn't think i didn't necessarily equate it to the boldness although i think probably subconsciously i did but then i was thinking to myself like i love this kind of period of kurt angle's career like coming down with like you know the the almost like the olympian kind of hoodie on kind of rem- reminding you that yeah okay he's got like the gold medal and stuff but reminding you that he is a fucking hard bastard do you know what i mean like he had those comedy chops and he could do that but it, when it boils down to it he can fucking kick your ass and the way that he is presented at this period in his career is is phenomenal. It's just a great match, isn't it? It's just really well put together as well, Pace. There is a kick out by Angle of the F5 where, I mean, Mike Keeler, big shout out to Mike because he sells this like he's going for three. His He must withdraw his arm half an inch from the mat it's absolutely incredible and that tiny little thing just makes the end so much more satisfactory obviously there's the shooting star press like the note that i've got is good job lesnar has a neck like a chode or else he'd have probably (laughs) broken it because it's wider than it is long it's it's what you'd expect it's two guys at this point as well incredibly hungry to show what they're about to prove that they're the best, fighting for a world title in the main event of WrestleMania. And that really comes across if Austin and The Rock are comfortable with each other and know exactly what they're going to do to entertain, these guys are going out to prove that they're the best. I wonder, can I touch on the shooting star press? Yeah, of course you can. I think this that, that shooting star press shows the kind of Brock Lesnar, despite how incredible he is, is still so new at the time because... He could have done that shoot and star press from any other turnbuckle and hit him. Um, it's too far away, and we know that. But if he just took a second to just drag him a foot across the ring, like maybe he was told he had to hit from that turnbuckle, the one that he does, for aesthetic reasons, because they were like, well, this is going to be one of the biggest things that's ever happened. We yeah. need to get good ang- angles on it. So when you hit it, hit it from that turnbuckle, because so, we've got the cameras all pointing that way. But if he just took a second dragged him a couple of feet across the ring and did it and hit it, it would have been absolutely perfect. Like you, I've seen footage on YouTube and stuff like that of Kurt Angle, of Kurt Angle, fuck me, of Brock Lesnar hitting a shooting star press in OVW like loads of times. So you know he can do it. It's just mm. a distance away because he has to put so much height into it to be able to get across the ring that he doesn't rotate enough and hence why he lands on his head. If he hit that move then it would have been the biggest WrestleMania moment ever. And it would be discussed in this day and it would have changed the outcome and the way in which these types of matches are presented because people would have felt that they would have needed to have done that as well, I think. Um, the, the issue as well that, that made me feel quite uncomfortable at the end 
is watching how fucking out of his head he is mm. and knowing what a terror based upon that what we've seen in that documentary which I appreciate not everyone may have seen, but the aforementioned documentary that Tiki was talking about, and knowing how much of a bad way Kurt Angle was in yeah. that match and after that match, the fact that he goes over and he basically props Brock Lesnar up to get him on his feet, and there's a camp, there's a zoom in between the ropes of him as he's as he's trying to get up, and he's just fucked, and it's it's quite uh, an uncomfortable watch. It's uncomfortable, but at the same time, I think at the time was a relief. Because it meant that it wasn't his neck that was the problem. It was that he's concussed. Mm-hmm. It's weird because when I, wa- I remember, I did watch it live. And I remember seeing it and being like, fuck, has he just broken his neck, basically? And then you see that he's just out of it. And you're like, okay, he's okay. His neck's okay. He's just got a concussion, which I know is very serious. But probably not quite as serious as if he broke his neck. So, like, it just, it almost a relief, which is really odd to say. But it, it kind of almost is. The shooting star press, interesting, really interesting, because I do agree with you, Tom. I think it's historic in its the fact that he missed it. If he had not missed it, if he'd have hit it properly, I think you're right. I think it would have changed pro wrestling potentially, because you've now got the guy that already looks that looks better than everyone else just by standing still. Okay, he's been in the industry, he's been in the WWE for less than a year at this point. He's He's had had a bit of a career before that in OVW, as you say. But in terms of his WWE career, main roster career, he's been there less than a year. He's won everything. He is a phenomenon. Like, he's massively popular. And now he can do this as well. Um, and we know Angle can, can execute an incredible moonsault. So you basically got the two toughest people in wrestling, who are arguably the two biggest stars in wrestling at the time as well, who can also do the most impressive aerials. In, in in the business what is there left to do i mean what is there left to do if he hits this this shooting star press it's just out of this world on the distance so i think you're right i think the distance is the problem but not because he can't physically do it but because it puts doubt in his mind before he does it if you watch mm. it again he hesitates just before he does it and it means his bounce that he gets off the ropes isn't as high as it could be as it as it potentially would be if he hadn't hesitated and i think if he doesn't hesitate he makes this no problem at all even with the distance it's just i think you the distance is the problem but not because he can't do it but because it puts the doubt in his mind that he can and therefore means that he hesitates and then doesn't doesn't make it so i think if brock lesnar had hit the shooting star press i think this is an absolute stone cold classic and is top of my list of things to talk about if someone's asking about the best match in wrestlemania history Without it, it doesn't quite hit it because ultimately it is a botch. I mean, you can say it's an incredibly impressive one, but it is a botch and it is the final moments of a dramatic world title match. And it does detract from the overall quality of it. Uh, Still a very, very good match. Still a great match. And interesting what you said, old man, about Taz and his commentary, because I said earlier on I wasn't impressed by Taz at any point during the show. And I hadn't noticed his good commentary, but I can well believe it, because ultimately this is interesting in that this is the first time I think WWE flirted with the idea of the same presentation that Paul Heyman was going for with Taz in his ECW title career, which is that big fight almost mixed martial arts style main event where you've got these two heavyweights in an ultra serious tough as nails main event match and this was kind of their almost them going there for the first time and so i can well imagine taz being good because this is kind of their first foray into that really great really great stuff i mean the 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 thing that i pulled out the highlight for me was the release over the top german suplex by angle 
uh, on mm. list. It's just phenomenal. Like, and not only that, but just before it, there was a brilliant exchange mm. as well of wrestling. So this brilliant exchange of wrestling, which culminated in that over the over the head release German suplex, which was just mm. was just fantastic. So I thought it was a great match, but just a shade off of classic. Lovely. So that brings us to the end of the card. And as I say, you know, you, you mentioned it again. Please do try. And if you can find it anywhere, check out the Mania of WrestleMania documentary because it is amazing. I, I, I'm almost torn in that I'd rather I'd rather plug that than our own podcast and our own social media channels. Um <laughs> But I will plug them just briefly because there is time for it right now. Uh, a few plugs uh, before we get into the meat of the of the the our summary of the show and of course the game which is still to come. Uh, we are of course available on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at RWR Pod UK for all your social media needs. Right now we are on the final stretch of the World Cup of WrestleMania over World Cup of WrestleMania matches, I should say, over on Twitter. It's reaching its final stages, so don't miss out on having your say on what the greatest match in WrestleMania history is if you're not already involved. Right then, uh, let's start with you, Tom. Uh, get your overall opinion on the show, your rating out of 10, and your match of the night. So, as I said, I don't think I'd seen this in its entirety before. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and not one point was I bored during the show. The match of the night for me, I said it earlier, but for me it's the Rock and Stone Cold, taking into context what I knew about the match from that documentary. Yeah. Uh, watching it in isolation, I might have a different opinion on it, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed the match. And I thought it's, it's performance, uh, the climactic end to um, the greatest feud in WWE history amongst its two, great, two of its greatest superstars. The rating i'm probably going to give it an eight i think it's really good i it would be it would be a 10 if it didn't have the nonsense with the um but it's not down it would it would be a 10 if it wasn't for a few things jerry lawler's commentary Mm. is dreadful the uh the the miller like thing is 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 poor and there's a couple of other things like i could have done with one less limp biscuit performance (laughs) <laughs> if I'm being honest, and, and I would have liked to have seen America the Beautiful at the beginning as well, because that that's that is a big WrestleMania thing that I didn't really think about until and so there's beforehand. So there's a couple of things other 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 than that. It's it's in the higher upper echelons of WrestleManias. Um, it's up there with with 17 and 30 and and a few other ones as well. So um, eight stars I'm giving it. Then what you got to do to get a ten? Just out of interest, where do you if you are going to rank it against? the wrestlemanias do you, i mean i know it's difficult to remember them all and you probably will will change your mind if you watch them again but just for now do, would you do you think this does contain contend for the best ever it's up there definitely i don't think it does i think it's i'm hard to look past wrestlemania 17 mm. if i'm being honest but it's definitely up there it's up there with, with wrestlemania 17 30 i've obviously got a very soft spot for wrestlemania 25 and 26 because we went to it yeah um so it's up there it's very good it's it's it is it's definitely in the upper echelon of wrestlemania's good stuff old man your uh match of the night and your overall score i mean you've got six out of the nine matches of very high quality you could say there were 10 matches if you can the pillow fight i think we'll probably leave that one the match of the night is quite tough because i think just purely for enjoyment and also, to kind of touch on what you did, Tinky, with the um, shooting star press. I think if Lesnar hits that shooting star press, that's match of any night. But Big C doesn't. He's fucked it from an angle, in my opinion, for being match of the night, not in general. 
Uh, and it's Austin and the Rock, I think, just because uh, it's like putting on a nice, nice warm coat, <laughs> I think, watching that Austin Rock. And because you know it's the last time they'll do it, it's just nice. I just just really enjoyed it. The show, to be honest, I enjoyed the show top to bottom. I'd give it an eight also, I think. Well, no, I don't think. I'd let you know. So it looks amazing, as I touched upon at the start. The whole thing looks amazing. I agree with your view, Tinky, that some of the production of the videos is a little off for the standards that they've set. But taking that away, the only time that the crowd truly drop is the Triple H Booker T match. And uh, in, to go back to your question of where it is in the pantheon of WrestleManias. So the ones that jump to mind are 16 or WrestleMania 2000, depending on your turn, mainly for the uh, for Ice-T's performance of Pimpin' Easy when he walks down to the ring with the, <laughs> with the contra there. And then you've got 17, 19 and 24 as well. You know what? I think 17, 19 and 24 are all level for me. Um. So, yeah, my opinion on the show. So I think, look. As I said at the start, there isn't a bad match in sight here. I think the first three matches are all decent enough. They're all fine. They're all really good. I mean, the women's title match was way better than I thought it was going to be. And that's not because they were women, but just because of the presentation that the women had at the time. And they really worked really hard to make that something special. And I thought in the end, they were quite close to approaching that. The handicap match was fine. The cruiserweight title match was only five minutes, but that was fine as well. I thought the tag team match was really good. Um, Shawn Michaels Jericho was one of the eight out of tens that I mentioned earlier on. The Rock Austin was the other one, but my match of the night is Kurt Angle versus Brock Lesnar. I thought that was the best match of the night, uh, even with the um, shooting star press incident at the end. And I think that they also had an incredible back. Like they, there's never been a match in my opinion that's had to follow as much as this one in WWE's history. Like I was saying earlier on about the card, there's never been a time where you had. Five 20 minute matches in a row at the end of a show. I don't think WWE have ever done that before. And they did it here. And Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar still managed to follow it all, still managed to get people interested. It, you know, it didn't have quite the heat that you might like for the main event of WrestleMania, but they still got people into it. My overall rating is a nine. I'm going to give it a nine. Because I don't, like you said, Tom, I don't know what else you'd have to do to get a ten. You know, if you're if you're if you're voting this as an eight, like what? How much? How much else could you? How much else could you throw at it? There, as I said, no bad matches, but no classic match, which is perhaps why it's not perfect. There is not that match that goes. This is one of the best matches of all time on here, and therefore it just falls short of perfection. But other than that. It's very, very good. It's hard to argue against it. And watching it this time is the closest I've got to considering it the best of rest, best WrestleMania of all time. I don't think it is the best WrestleMania of all time, but this was the closest I've ever got to considering it that, even though I was slightly disappointed by one or two of the matches. Actually, so if I had before this show... I would have pulled out Michaels versus Jericho as being a very, very good match. Angle versus Lesnar has been a very, very good match. The Rock versus Austin being quite good, but not in the context of their previous matches. And everything else is being quite like forgettable. And actually, the truth is, it's not. All of the rest of it is much better than I imagined it was beforehand. So, yeah, that's my reasoning. Just a very, very different style of show in general and um, very interesting for it, too. Tinky, did your, so obviously me and Tommy have gone eight. Did you go nine because of the coach getting pantsed? Did that push it? 
that 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 pushed it right over the top. Yeah, I mean, I, I so. gotta be honest, I would like just being serious for a second. I was really struggling to decide whether it was eight or a nine for a long time mm. before this. Before we got and recorded this, I thought it's a it's a nine. Then you both gave it an eight, and I was very tempted to bring it back down to an eight because. Because there is just that sense that nothing quite is is a classic, and there's going to be a show at some point where they, which has two Stone Cold classics in it, and we're like, well, we need an eleven or something. Yeah. But um, but but yeah, I thought uh, I thought it was really good. Okay, so we move on to the game, and it is you two boys against one another, Old Man versus Tom. Uh, we're going to be something ever so slightly different this week. So this week's category for the game is past and present. WWE television programs that have ha- that have aired somewhere in the world on broadcast television, i.e. it includes anything that is completely exclusive to the WWE network. So there's no Drive Along or Edge and Christian's show of totally reeks of awesomeness. That stuff ain't happening. But anything that has appeared on uh, broadcast television somewhere in the world, so it could be just a network exclusive show on American television, but is shown i don't know in the uk or something then that that counts okay and we're going all the way back all the way back to 1956 for this so you have got a total possible number of answers of 66 so we have got a an even number so there's every (laughs) chance here that we are heading for the biggest draw of all draws Uh, i think we will start with you old man why don't you go first <laughs> Correct. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Monday Night Raw, nineteen ninety-three uh, to the present day. Okay, I will go SmackDown. SmackDown is correct. You're absolutely right. That is nineteen ninety-nine to the present day. Main event. Main event is correct, indeed. Yes. Uh, you. I, I'm going to count that as both the main event, which was the. Oh come on. No, no, we're going to count it as both because it's basically the same title, mate. I'm uh, going to count as the main event and main event all in one go there. Okay. Um, superstars. Superstars. Correct. Uh, I'm going to count that again because there are two, technically two different shows. Superstars of Wrestling, which ran from 1986 to 2001. And then the revived Superstars that started, I think, in like 2014 or something. Uh, Saturday night's main event. Saturday night's main event is correct. 1985 to 1992 in its original run, and then from 2006 to 2008 again. NXT. NXT is correct, yes. Can't give you the dates on that. I'm gone. Primetime wrestling. Primetime wrestling, indeed. That was from 1985 to 1993. Uh, Reload. Reload. Reloaded. That was one of the, was that not one of their they used to have, I'm sure they used to have a show called Reloaded, which was on Sky, and it was a um like a weekly catch up show. I don't think so, mate. I don't think so. Oh fuck's sake! I was convinced. I'm sure there was. Right, I'm gonna look. You have a look for it. Get, let's we'll, t- we'll let you take this to the uh, stewards' inquiry yeah. because to be honest, it's a fucking long list. So there's every chance they've missed something. This is a pool, then. You won't be ashamed <laughs> of yourself, Tom. I think the problem is with Tom as well is he goes for stuff. He's probably got loads of other stuff on his list. I have. Are, I've got loads of. Yeah. That are, sh- are more surefire, but yet he <laughs> seems to go for the ones that are just he out is, of left wing. He is a risk taker. He is, and needlessly so. Was there a pay per view called Reloaded? <laughs> no, I don't think so. No. I think we've we've had the game. I think Tom, you've yeah, yeah, failed. But but why don't you just carry on anyway? 
because there's still loads. So just for fun, um, old man, why don't we still take it in turns? You go next. All right. So sorry, can you refer to me as old man the winner? Oh, old man the winner. Uh, you have yeah. a go. So heat. Heat. Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm more than happy to accept that. 1998 to 2008. Uh, Tuesday Night Titans. Tuesday Night Titans, indeed. So that is somewhere. I can't find it right now, but it's, it's there. I know it's there. I've seen it. 1984 to 1986. Velocity. Velocity, indeed. One of the... One of the many, many weekend shows they had. 2002 to 2006 for Velocity. I definitely had that. Yeah, that's. I think that may have been where my reload thing came in. Um, ECW. ECW, 2006 to 2010. This week in WWE. This oh. week in WWE. We discussed it not long ago on this very the podcast. Oh, big neck. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And, this week in WWE. Still and, running. Still running that show. And also, as well, the... the least original tv show title yeah <laughs> ever. um this is my last one so i would have probably lost in the point earlier but shotgun saturday night shotgun oh, saturday that's night. lovely yes indeed shotgun saturday night was from 1997 to 1999 oh yeah the only one i had left was tough enough tough enough yes indeed you are absolutely right tough enough again i can't find exactly where it is but it is on my list somewhere as it's a long list so i will go through now um and tell you the ones you didn't get there are a lot so tribute to the troops first of all not a weekly oh, yeah, show yeah. but was shown on broadcast television 205 live is shown in a number of markets um uh, out, i wasn't sure about that outside of the network nxt uk is shown on uk television um not just on the network uh free for all which was very often their sunday night um show before yeah, yeah. News. wwe bottom line it's one of their magazine yes. type shows uh wwe afterburn uh, experience, vintage. A lot of these shows are still airing in various international yeah. markets. Then we've got a couple of, we've got three reality TV shows, Total Divas, Total Bellas, and Ms. and Mrs., all of which are shown in various um, cable television sh- uh, channels in America. We've also got then from 1956 to 1970, Heavyweight Wrestling. Uh, we've got All Star Wrestling from 1971 to 1986, Championship Wrestling from 72 to 86. WWF on the MSG network, which would have shown um, MSG shows from 1976 right through to 1997. Um, All American Wrestling, 1983 to 1994. World Championship Wrestling, 84 to 85. That was the infamous time WWF bought the rights to the uh, Turner Broadcasting Hour of television and then dropped it later on because no one was watching. Um, Maple Leaf Wrestling, which was a show that was bought effectively from a Canadian regional promotion. Um Wrestling Challenge, 86 to 95. Survivor Series Showdown, which is a Survivor Series type preview type show. SummerSlam Spectacular, uh, another one which is, again, sort of a build up to SummerSlam. And the March to WrestleMania, all kind of early 90s build ups to bigger pay-per-views. WWF Mania from 93 to 96. Action Zone from 94 to 96. Sunday Night Slam, 94 to 95. Uh, Super Astros, which was on a, a Spanish-speaking television uh, network for a while in 98 and 99. Jacked, 99 to 2002. Metal, 99 to 2002. AM Raw from 2005 to 2014, which was a highlights package of sorts of Raw. Um, FCW, which was shown in regional markets uh, at one point. Saturday Morning Slam, 2012 to 2013. Mixed Match Challenge 2018, 
shown in some international markets. Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, 1985 to 1987, which was a cartoon-based show. Wrestling Spotlight, 1986 to 95. Livewire, 96 to 2001. Excess, yes, we really are to the excess with these fucking shows. 2001 to 2002. Tough Enough, as you mentioned. Attitude, didn't know that existed, but 2001 to 2002. WWE Confidential, of course, the documentary style show msg classics from 2006 to 2009 legends of wrestling 2006 to 2012 slam city the uh, another one of their kind of animated things 2014 the big show show 2020 and fight like a girl which is their most recent kind of reality tv show thing that's come out um they have got three indian uh, exclusive shows i can't pronounce one of them while three ucha is one of them yeah. um, sunday damal blockbusters and damal league so they are all um, exclusive indian television shows there was one other show that i'd have given you uh, oh i missed backstage as well it's another show that was out in sort of the late 20 2010s there was one show i would have given you had you said it because one episode came under the wwe banner and that of course is wcw nitro yeah <clears throat> yeah so there's your full list, uh, an exhaustive list of television shows that WWE have put out in the past. And I, again, I think, Tom, you need to revise your tactics when, when choosing the answers you're going to give, because uh, that's twice, I think, you've fallen foul to a very similar issue. Quite interesting, listening to that list, is that there's a lot of stuff on the network that I look and I just go, what was the, what's that shit for? And then you realise that they're just selling it to other markets and we yeah. only get it on the network mm. in the good old UK, but... The amount of money that they're making from rights from all over the place is just Outrageous. unbelievable. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And it's also why there's so much, like they, they produce so much of it because it does make them a lot of money, ultimately. Mm-hmm. So that is everything for today's show. Old man, it has been a pleasure. It has been a pleasure. I mean, the uh, tagline for WrestleMania was 19, is dare to dream. But we're not interested in that. All you need to do is remember Ken Patera. <laughs> And Tom, say goodbye to the listeners for me. Cheers, lads. It was a it was a great listen, and thank you to the listeners for sticking with us so far. We hope to go on a very very fun adventure, and I hope you've enjoyed the time on this weird lopsided roller coaster that I described earlier. <laughs> and interestingly, there you decided for the listeners that it was a good listen, so I'm sure they'll be yeah. really, really pleased with that. Um, that is definitely all from us. We'll be back again with the final leg of our WrestleMania trilogy. But until then, take care.